Here we go. Hello again for another episode of I've Known You Too Long. My guest today is someone I have known for a long time. Just I say it every time because it's true. Right now, those are the rules. Uh, my guest is someone who has been involved in the Northwest hardcore scene for a long time. That's how I met him. He played guitar in a band called Champion, you might have heard of. And he played a bunch of bands. I'm not even going to try to list them all off right now. I know he's playing in Deadweight and The Crew. Yep. There may be others. Uh, my guest is Chris Williams. Hello. Also known as Posy Chris. Yep. Does he like that name? Yeah, it's a name. <laughs> You've had it for a long time. Very long time. Not as long as I've known you, but... So you were it was coined after the fact. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know. See, I don't know when... I have an idea about when we met. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to sort that out. That's what we do. That's when we start. Figure that out. We, you've, you've heard the show, but in case anyone else hasn't, we figure out when we met, we take it back in time, figure out where you came from, and we move forward from there. Yep. All right. Chris, I've known you too long. <laughs> I don't know. Not nearly as long as a lot of the other people you've been talking to, but it has been a few years. Weirdly, I've known, I feel like I've known you forever, mm-hmm. and you're right. I've probably known all of those other people at least five years longer, mm-hmm. which is crazy yeah. to me. I don't know where all this time went. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, so I think... You were part of the infamous Candy Crew incident, were you not? For sure, for sure. Is that where you come come on to the scene? Is that it? Is mm-hmm. that the night we meet? Um, there was definitely candy involved. So I worked at a dollar store, and uh, you know, there's lots of candy in dollar stores if you've ever been in there. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we would just always have candy at shows. And I don't know who came up with that uh, that name, but okay, it so, stuck for a couple months. So there was a show at. The Aurora House, which is where Carrie Whitney lived and Jeff DeGoyer and Jake Snyder. Mm-hmm. And there, there would be shows in the basement. And one night you showed up with, was it Eric Markley and Tori O'Donnell? Probably Eric and Tori, uh, Kevin Williams. Okay. If you remember him. Um, maybe Stinky Sullivan. <laughs> Are you making up names now? <laughs> That's a real name of a real person. <laughs> Okay, um, and here's what ha- what I know that happened is that there were you guys showed up. You we'd maybe we'd been at shows together before, mm-hmm. but I don't think the guys I hung out with knew you guys necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I know that um, you guys showed up at a show at the Warehouse. Do you remember who played? I don't remember. I mean, I think I've been to a couple shows at that place, but was it Ink and Dagger? No, it wasn't that. Um, I want to say it was just locals. Maybe okay. Maybe Lit played. Not the pop punk lit, but your lit. Oh, lit um, that became Screwjack. That would have mm-hmm. been uh, lit. State Route Five Twenty Two Nine Iron Spitfire. That sounds about right. That, if that's the case, I have video from that show. I have a Dude. videotape from that show, which mm-hmm. I don't know if you're in the background in it. But what I remember about that is there were like dudes grumbling, like older dudes, uh-huh. like who are these, who are these guys, who do they think they are? Because there were ladies that we knew that were like, who uh-huh. are these guys? They're cute. <laughs> How do you like that patronizing voice? I don't even know if patronizing is the right word, but definitely um, a couple of the uh, the ladies there were mm-hmm. kind of stoked that you guys had showed up. And because of that, for whatever, there were some dudes that were like, who the hell are they? And you guys were like new guys coming into the uh-huh. scene or whatever. 
And someone, I don't know if it was you guys called yourself this or someone else, but y'all had a bunch mm-hmm. of candy, so you were dubbed the Candy Crew. I want to say it was Carrie Whitney probably that came up with the name. That said Candy Crew? Yeah, because we just always had candy and would be like, hey, you want some candy? <laughs> right. So this wasn't, so it wasn't like this started that night. You guys didn't say, hey, we're going to go to a show at a house we haven't been to in Seattle. You And you guys no. were all from down south. You were all from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I grew up in Kent. Tori was from Auburn. Markley was from Federway. So all kind of around there, like halfway between so here. And all of this is like 20 to 30 minutes south of Seattle on mm-hmm. I-5. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think we're both on board with that. I think that's <laughs> the night. And then you just kind of became a fixture mm-hmm. after that, I think. Do you remember anything specific about meeting me, like a handshake or a yeah. hit? So I have a couple, actually, Okay. with you. So one, the first, I guess, handshake that I remember was there was a show at the Goat House that was Torches to Rome. Oh, and yeah. And I don't remember who else played. Maybe Nine Iron or Botch or one of those bands. And then, you know, Carrie invited a bunch of people over afterwards. Hey, come on over. You know, so we went over. And uh, I remember, I don't remember what the guy from Torches to Rum said, you know, but something, you know, about, you know, introducing yourself to potential friends in the scene or something. I don't know. But um, you came up to us and were like, hey, you know, this is kind of cheesy, but like, the guy from Torches to Rome really inspired me, and I just wanted to introduce myself to you. Wait, so, okay, so I can't believe that that's that I actually did that, but <laughs> it probably sounds like mm-hmm. me from the time. Okay, so Mike Kirsch, singing for Torches to Rome, uh, later became Sarah Kirsch, mm-hmm. unfortunately no longer with us, mm-hmm. which is horrible because so much incredible music, so much inspiration uh, that was a person that inspired me musically, although I'm not a musician, mm-hmm. um, and lyrically and just in socially, person. apparently socially. Well, yeah. And I, definitely I, yeah, I was always impressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, okay. Apparently I did this cheesy thing and it worked though, because look, you're sitting in my, uh-huh. in my office being interviewed on my podcast many, many years later. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool. So I have a couple others too, though, but there are others. Yeah. So, so you don't think, do you think that predates, does that torches that- to Rome show predate the candy crew? incident i'm not sure but i do know some i have a picture that... from it so i'll put a picture from mm-hmm. i i have at least one picture of torches to Rome playing i think mm-hmm. so i'll try to put that up on the blog mm-hmm. for this what else have you got um i'm not sure if it was the torches to Rome show but the first show that i went to at the goat house um this was back before you know gps back before really the internet so you would you would get directions to a show from usually the bottom of a flyer so you know, sometimes those directions were good. Sometimes you would end up at a corner store hoping that a random hardcore kid would walk in. And, but and, someone's got to get their soda or yep, their candy. Exactly. So I think, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think that you and maybe Matt might have been at the store and were like, hey, are you guys on the show? Like, How do we get there? And you might have told us how to get there. Oh. Um, but I do have something earlier. You, wait, you think it was you think it was me and Matt Matsuoka? Maybe. Going to a show at the Goat House. Maybe. I I mean, I, I can't picture what that would have been. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. I don't really remember being there with Matt. Mm-hmm. It might have not been Matt, but... It could have been. There, there was a lot of stuff, you know. I just... A lot of times, I, I just kind of picture you and him as, like, inseparable back then, maybe. But. That's cool. I like that. <laughs> so, the other story actually involved him, him I believe, as well. But uh, before this... I don't even know. This must have been, like, a year before this. A year before I even knew about, like, what, like, the Northwest bands were. Like, I'd heard the name undertow around a lot you know like you know kids would in in like the punk skater scenes that i would run in would talk about this band undertow and or what i would say oh you gotta check out this band they're so awesome and you know i, I bought their cd at like cellophane square or something but like 
you know, I, this, again, this is before the internet. I had no way of knowing like when they were playing or whatever. And so we were, we used to go skate at, uh, at in Bellevue, like downtown Bellevue, because I mean, there weren't really a lot of skate parks back then. We would just go skate and the sidewalks were smooth so you could, you know, do whatever. And I broke my board and we went into the mall just to kind of hang out. You know, I had my broken board and I believe that you and Matt or some other human uh, gave a, gave me a flyer for a show. And I didn't know. <laughs> I was flyering in Bellevue Square yeah, Mall. <laughs> I, I didn't know that these were like hardcore bands until like later on. I found that flyer because that day I got a girl's phone number at the mall and <laughs> and she wrote her number on the back of this flyer, which I hold on. And so yeah. you kept it like in a memory book. No, I mean, you know, like, again, you didn't have cell phones to put phone numbers in. Right, so right, you right. would just like have it, you know, whatever in your room somewhere. And then later after I started going to shows, like I found that phone number and the back of it, I don't remember who exactly it was, but I want to say like, maybe there were some like hardcore bands and maybe some like kind of East side bands. So it would have been like a ground zero show. Mm, it was at ground zero. It would have been like red rocket or state route 522 or one of those. And then maybe like, you know, nine iron spitfire or sure. like an early trial show, maybe something like that. But, all, all of those are possibilities uh-huh. at the ground zero teen center in Bellevue. Yeah. <laughs> So it was kind of funny finding that, you know, like after I'd been going to local shows for but you a think few months. It was you think I handed you that flyer? I believe so. Um maybe Were you just walking because... around with your broken skateboard? Yeah. <laughs> I would have talked to you about that. I don't know. I can't imagine I wouldn't yeah. have that I wouldn't have started a conversation uh-huh. with a, if I was gonna hand a flyer, but like, what yeah. are you bored, man? Uh-huh. I don't know. Like we were just walking and and you know, maybe it was Matt and someone else or something, but just saw that us in be... our like Matt was Matt know, did used to flyer a lot, mm-hmm. um, and he would be there. And that was Selfin Square was in the mall mm-hmm. at one point, right? Uh, I don't know if it was then or if it was across the street at that okay. point, but but yeah. Well, excellent. Okay, so and what years are these? What what year do you think that was? Are we talking ninety six, ninety seven? Or are we going no a earlier than that? Um, I oh. believe like the first like local show that I went to was probably like late ninety five. So this would have been either early ninety five, maybe or okay, yeah. All right, and then the goat house thing happens. What? Uh, or not goat house? I mean, uh, late '95, probably early '96. '96. Talking about the the show at the Aurora Family House, mm-hmm. the Candy Crew mm-hmm. incident. I will call it. <laughs> and I hope if I can put my hands on it, I have a photo of you guys sitting on the floor in the Aurora House with, uh-huh. with candy. And for some reason, I just it, I in my mind I see other dudes staring daggers at you from across <laughs> the room. I don't know why. It was just so funny that there was like plotting like, revenge. I'm like, no. Kids, like people coming to the shows. That's awesome, you know? And it has ever been my battle. Older dudes going, nah, fuck these kids, you mm-hmm. know? Whatever. <laughs> Each wave of kids brought people that stayed in longer and longer. Uh-huh. Awesome. Okay, so let's go back. Okay. Where do you How come? How far back? All the way back, man. Tell me your story. Where do you, Where were you born? So I was born in Provo, Utah. And then I lived, you know, pre-memory, I lived in like Ohio, Michigan, and then my earliest memories were from Kent. Um, okay, so you kind of become aware in Kent, Washington. Mm-hmm, yeah. And were you there the whole time? Uh, yeah, most. I mean, I I lived in a couple different places in Kent, but yeah, like growing up, going you, to school, I was in Kent. Did you go to the same schools? I went to a couple different elementary schools, and then you know, jun- uh, the same junior high and same high school. But okay, so what were you like as a as a little kid, man? Man. 
Uh, I don't know. Not very, not very interesting. Probably. Can you remember? Like, yeah, I mean, I, um, you know, I was just kind of an outside kid back then. You know, ran around the neighborhood and rode bikes and, uh, you know, played football and wrestled and shot marbles and. Wait, okay. This so, is great. So, so you had a, a slingshot sticking out of your back pocket. You're uh -huh. shooting marbles Basically. in the middle of the street uh -huh. with a kid in a cowboy hat with like little little six shooter cap guns. Basically, I, all of a sudden, yeah. you've become a uh, Norman Rockwell mm -hmm. painting. Yeah, and we had uh, my driveway to my house was super steep, so like all the kids in the neighborhood would like come and race their bikes down the hill and crash and destroy themselves. And okay, so you had one of those can we can we conquer the hill uh -huh. sort of driveways? Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. So you had a, a a crew of kids in the neighborhood that you hung out with, mm -hmm. and how old are we talking now? Grade uh, school? Yeah, this is through grade five. So I mean, after fifth grade, I moved to a little bit different of a neighborhood, and uh, it it was very different because I I feel like in in my first grade school it was all kind of like the same like social economic class, so there wasn't like a lot of like hierarchy in the school. It was just like everyone was just kind of a crazy kid, right? And, and then, are you really aware of that up? up to like the fifth grade i, I wasn't know. but then like we moved to this this you know this new school and we lived kind of close to a country club so there were a lot of like rich kids and they were kind of brats and um oh. that's when you kind of like start to get picked on a little bit if you're not like you but know, it was still but it was stuff. still a grade school mm -hmm. yeah oh. sixth grade i think like the first like my first day of school i think i almost got in a fight with a kid like walking home from the bus like just because he was picking on another kid and i was like I don't even, I don't even know. I was like, Hey, that's not cool. And like, <laughs> we almost hey, got in a fight and cool. I think some car pulled over and was like, Hey kids don't fight. <laughs> Wait. So were you that kind of kid? If you're in the mm -hmm. fifth grade and you're seeing a fight and you're going to step in, mm -hmm. were you a fighter? I, you know what? It's funny. Cause I, I wasn't, I was at times like, um, I had a, I had a friend, <laughs> I had a friend in elementary school that was just like, the worst kid like you know like the kids that would like find a duck's egg and like smash it open and like tie snakes in half and like okay just like cruel kid and um i started realizing that he was just kind of a dick and like <laughs> but he was a friend of yours he was but he wasn't a very good friend and i kind of started realizing it so i used to get in fights with him a lot like like he would draw on my backpack like on the bus and then as soon as we got off the bus i would like tackle him and like like he you, wait so you'd just be like all right when we get off the bus it's on and he wouldn't know uh -huh. or would you warn him like when we get off no the bus? i would just tackle him and we would just roll around and it was like wrestling it wasn't like punching him um i don't remember like punches but i definitely like smashed his head into the ground at one point and there was blood now was it oh, wow was it possible for him to win or were you just a bigger you were just going to beat him every time um i don't know if it, it, it never like escalated to the point where anyone won it was just kind of like yeah. Don't draw my backpack. Learn your lesson. Yeah. And he never did, I assume. Yeah. And then I got kind of got to a point where I was like, and that kid grew up to be. I don't, I don't even know. Because oh, then okay. I moved away, and now he's probably in prison or something, <laughs> living in a trailer home or something. But <laughs> wait, okay, so prison or a trailer home? Yeah. One of the not that there's anything bad with living in trailer homes. One of the homes. two. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you weren't. You were. Not a, a stranger to physical conflict mm -hmm. in grade school. Yeah. First fight? Mm, probably, I don't know, third, fourth grade or something. Do you remember what? Do you remember? It, so it was probably with him. Okay. Like, right. once I started realizing. That was someone like, you knew. You ever get in a fight with like someone you didn't know? 
Um, I guess in grade school, you kind of yeah, know everybody. Yeah, you but... know everyone. And it would always be like, meet me at the cow pasture after school. And then you go, you know, everyone would be waiting out there. Oh, wait. So in grade school, kids would set up. See, for mm-hmm. me, that's a distinctly junior yeah. high. That's a, we're not quite teenagers, but we're, we're trying to like figure this out. So uh-huh. I never knew of anybody that set up an after school fight in grade school. Mm-hmm. But I definitely knew of people that set up after school fights yeah. in junior high. <laughs> Uh-huh. So, <laughs> so you guys did that in grade school. Mm-hmm. You were a little advanced. Yeah. It's a little bit rougher. Like mm-hmm. south of Seattle is a little rougher. <laughs> like I've actually had some real, uh, some people tell me some real theories about mm-hmm. what the South End is like versus mm-hmm. what North End people are like. <laughs> and uh, do you agree with any of that stuff? Do- mm, I don't know. You know, it's it's like it's everyone's memories of things too. You know, so you know who knows like how realistic, how real and on point those memories are. Someone we both know. Someone who I'll talk to one of these days uh-huh. uh, once told me that people from the South End um, are just more realistic. They're more they're more abrasive because they'll just tell you the truth. They'll just say it like it is, you know. And then people from the North End, mm-hmm. and he was saying basically Seattle and North of Seattle uh-huh. were all really stuck up and and wouldn't wouldn't really tell you the truth, you know. It was all, and he said that was way worse. Like. Hmm. not being you know not and i'm not even saying it right because yeah. i can't possibly and i remember him having a very he was very serious about that and i've thought about it ever since and i'm like i know a lot of guys from from down the way and come to think of it a lot of those guys were in a lot more fights than a lot of the other dudes uh-huh. i knew in the hardcore scene or could hold their own better mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. or at least would talk like they mm-hmm. wanted to you know so i yeah i don't know if there's something to that yeah i don't know either like i mean there's definitely um I mean, you know, when when you have nothing better to do, like you end up doing crazy things, you know, like you'd always talk about throwing rocks at each other and, you know, <laughs> shooting BB guns at each other. And right. that's what you do for fun because you don't have like. Did you do that? Did you have BB guns? Um, I didn't. I never was allowed to have a BB gun. You were not gun, allowed to have a BB gun? My friends had BB guns and we would, you know, we'd shoot them at each other. And... Were you smart enough? Like, did you do like goggles and stuff or just oh, shot them at each other? No, you didn't, didn't care? No, no, no. There was no way that you even comprehended that that was a possibility you know getting shot in the eye <laughs> so that wasn't something... once again childhood was just uh-huh. something to survive and i see you have both your eyes i'm mm-hmm. assuming <laughs> no one got their eye shot out there was a girl in my class at six in sixth grade this is kind of changing the subject a little bit but go right ahead um yeah and she actually was kind of in the hardcore scene later but anyways she her dad was really big into archery and, you know, she was running around the backyard and I guess her dad and her dad's friend were in the backyard shooting like bow and arrows. And she, I guess, came running out, you know, and he released it. I'm doing hand gestures, which just sounds awesome. I'm sure on this podcast, but um, you're, st- you're still saying the words, though. But yes, I'm sure it's better for me because that was pretty dramatic. The, the arrow release right there. Yeah. So he shot this arrow right as she comes running around the corner and the arrow went through both sides of her legs like oh. i'm pointing to like the side of my thigh right basically pinned her legs together whoa and uh yeah it was a, it was a big deal but and did you knew her when this happened or mm-hmm. you, or people just told a story about her later in life no i knew her um i mean i wasn't there when it happened obviously, did she show but, people like, the she scars missed, oh yeah and she missed school like for some time and stuff i mean it sounds like a it doesn't sound like a real story it sounds like an urban legend you know okay i need to know but, more things about this then did people like uh, ostracize her for that or did they think she was cool for it? I don't really remember that level of specificity, but I would think that kids would think it was cool. Like, well, you got shot with a bow and arrow. That's and then awesome. later on in life, she's going to get tattoos around the scars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not going to say any names. Uh-huh. So, But this is some, is this someone I would know? I don't know. So 
I don't know. Okay, so we're skipping ahead a little bit, but right. she well, I'll, was. I'll bring it back. Okay. <laughs> so she, when I was in like seventh grade, she was dating one of my best friends. And she was kind of into like a lot of the stuff. He was like the guy that kind of got me into like suicidal tendencies and like, you know, Nine Inch Nails, like um, Red Hot Chili Peppers, like early stuff. Like so was Suicidal the first like punk rock band that you heard? Probably, yeah. Or me maybe too. The Descendants. Yeah. So we those were. Are, those are both good. Those are both <laughs> good starts. Yeah. And so, of course, I had, you know, a flip up hat that said Suicidal that my dad. And know, I'm assuming like, it was the first record. Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, she was dating him for a little bit, and uh, he, like, moved away. She moved away. And, like, the first, like, straight-edge dude that I ever met, this was years later in high school, um, I met him at a party, like, in the woods. Like, literally party in the, in the woods. woods. Yep. <laughs> and everyone was high, drunk, and me and he were the only ones that weren't. And um, we just kind of started talking about, like, you know, I was listening to some like Gorilla Biscuits, maybe like a little bit of Youth of Today, Minor Threat, obviously. And uh, we kind of started talking about Straight Edge. And like, that was something that like, I was already kind of thinking about like those kinds of things. And, and he was, yeah, he was Straight Edge. I don't even remember his name. I want to say it was Ben or something. He and lived... this was the guy that had dated her when you were in seventh grade? No, no, no. Oh. So, yeah. So this guy lived on uh, Vashon Island. And I think that's where this girl moved away to. So I started, I kept in touch with this dude because he was like the only guy that I knew that listened to that kind of stuff. And uh, right. it turned out that he was dating her now and oh. they were both like straight edge and like went to shows and stuff. Yeah. Oh, so that's interesting. Yeah. Just a random, okay. So yeah, a random totally connection to random. when you were younger. So yeah. now was he someone that inspired you as far as straight edge went? Were you, mm -hmm. so you weren't straight edge yet at this point at this party? Uh, I, I kind of was, I mean, I wasn't like, you know. I didn't call myself straight edge, but like, you know, I listened to minor thread. I thought the song was cool. Like growing up, I never really like partied. I always thought it was like, I always thought it was kind of like funny that like everyone else, like at, at first it was kind of a thing like, Hey, you know, smoke with us or drink with us. And I was like, nah, dude, I'm, I don't care about peer pressure, whatever. Screw you guys. I'm going to do my own thing. And then like the older I got and the more I started hanging out with like dudes that were you know, drinking a lot and stuff, smoking or whatever. Like I, I kind of like became, I thought it was funnier and like more punk rock, I guess. So you thought it was funnier and more punk rock to do it or to, to, not? to not do it. So did you, you know? did you never, I did a little bit, but this was like, um, I think I, I smoked weed like once when I was in uh, high school. Okay. And this was at a point where I was just like, yeah, whatever. Um, but I didn't really like. You were just. It was, really it was high school, so you were just over it. Yeah, kinda. You know. <laughs> um, but then, like, I tried it, and I was like, eh, it wasn't very cool. It made food taste real good, but like, other than that, well, like, we did the one time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you weren't. You didn't drink or smoke. No, I've never uh, like smoked a cigarette. I never drank. Um, ah, see, that's I did some of that. Yeah. Whatever. So yeah, so I was at this party and and. He liked a lot of like the bands that I liked. And so we talk about that and I got his number and, um, you know, I used to talk to him on the phone a lot, probably more than any like dude <laughs> whose phone number I'd ever got. <laughs> um, you always call him up and say, Hey, let's talk about hardcore. Yeah. Dude, I would call him up and he'd be like, dude, have you heard? Like, I don't even remember, you know, we were, t I remember Gorilla Biscuits was one of the main ones that we like talked about, um, you know, minor threat youth of the day. I'm sure there was some stuff that he got me into that I wasn't really into. Before. Is this someone who's still around? Not around here. Like, I don't know where he, you know, where he lives now, but he, yeah, he used to live, he was, he lived on Vashon Island. He worked in, uh, at the QFC on Mercer Island. 
which was quite a commute for a job at QFC, but yeah. <laughs> but you know, yeah. times were tough. Yeah. I'm assuming. Was this early nineties? The yeah, probably. <laughs> and you know, I don't think I was ever at a show that he was at. Like once I started like finding out about the local shows, like I think he kinda like I don't know, moved away or like got older or something. We kind of just lost touch, but yeah. Friends on Facebook now? No. I, I mean, I well, probably the last time I talked to him was like on the phone, maybe at QFC. Like maybe I was driving through and I stopped by to say what's up to him. But. It's just funny the people that you can reconnect with after decades, mm-hmm. you know? I don't even really remember his name to be honest, <laughs> but yeah, definitely you, played a big role. You had role to ask like, for somebody when you called. Yeah. <laughs> that was 20 some odd years for ago, some people so. yeah i mean for some people that haze of time mm-hmm. makes stuff really really confusing yeah i want to say it was ben but i may be making that up okay that's fine it's ben mm-hmm. ben from vashon mm-hmm. i remember monique though was the girl that got monique? shot with the bow and arrow okay wow yeah okay um <laughs> i see I, when you started the story i thought you were gonna say she got her eye shot out mm. and she was the girl with the patch <laughs> Nope. No. Sorry to let you down there. That's okay. Eventually, I'm going to get that story out of somebody. <laughs> we used to... <laughs> speaking, speaking of throwing rocks. Oh, sure. <laughs> so when I was in sixth grade is when I started skating. And I started hanging out with these kids. And, like, um, the kid that kind of got me into, like, punk rock, his name was Mick. And there was a kid named Sean that was kind of a more of, like, a jock kid eventually. But he, like, skated with us. And then there was this BMX kid that lived on the block that was, like... uh. I don't know. He probably did some drugs, but we just thought he, we, we, in our mind, he was like a drug dealer. <laughs> Cause he had a BMX bike. <laughs> yeah. Or he had long hair. Yeah. He, so he's oh, like totally. slash on a BMX bike. To- no, he was like, <laughs> he's like your stereotypical, like redneck, like long haired rocker biker dude. Yeah. But we used to throw rocks at him. <laughs> you threw rocks at him? <laughs> he was like, he was kind of scary too. So we yeah. thought, we thought it was kind of funny to like. <laughs> we'd like talk trash to him and we would like <laughs> and he was older than you yeah he was like a couple years older <laughs> so we would like run we'd throw rocks at him and then run and like hide in the woods <laughs> and he would like he would get like the serious rage like if he would have caught oh. us he probably would have killed yeah, us yeah i mean but... guys like that i always expect one <laughs> yeah. i expect him to be shirtless a lot of the time oh yeah 100%. or or wearing a flannel like an open flannel no shirt underneath mm-hmm. and then um he's gonna pull a knife mm-hmm. might be a butterfly totally. knife or it's, it's probably gonna... rusty Probably, but you got to hope he doesn't find you. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, that yeah. sounds great. And you never got caught. No, but the funny. So that was his name, Rusty. <laughs> yeah, we'll call him Rusty. <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing is we would do that. And then like literally the next day we would have, cause he lived two houses down from my friend Mick and literally the next day we would be out skating, you know, the launch ramp in front of his house. He would come out and ride his bikes there and. Oh, we both would be just chilling. Like, so it just reset. Yeah. What what happened yesterday doesn't matter. It, never... Totally. And it wasn't like he was our friend. It was just kind of like, you know, he was there and we were, we had our ramp out. So he would come chill and ride around. And then the next day we'd did be throwing off, rocks at each other. Go, did he go off the ramp on the BMX? Yeah. Yeah. To look cool. Like off the side, probably, you know. Oh, okay. Because it was a little bit of a, more of a quarter pipe. Like, oh, okay. It wasn't, coping, it wasn't so. for launching. Mm-hmm. No, just in case people don't understand what we're talking about. You're saying the angle went up high enough that you'd ride up the ramp and ride back down, mm-hmm. not fly off the end of the ramp, mm-hmm. land beyond it, and continue skating. Yeah, you know where you could launch off the side. Did you prefer launch ramp or jump ramp? Launch ramp, for yeah, sure. Launch. Yeah, launch. It's a launch ramp. Mm-hmm. But I've heard people say it the other way. Launching sounds more extreme. Way, way <laughs> better. When did you start skateboarding? Uh, Probably about sixth grade. Sixth um, grade? 
Yeah, I so had, what uh, year is that? Because we haven't oh, really geez. established your your age. Mm, when were you born? Seventy seven. Okay. So this was probably like the late eighties, you know, eighty eight somewhere in there. You yeah. know, peg so pants like tight rolled pants were cool. It was good skateboarding. Yeah. yeah. You have a Tony Hawk. Um, I didn't. So, what kind of board? See. What was your first board? I never had a Nash. Good. And I never had a Huffy. Uh, but I always uh, had a BMX bike. Yeah, I always had like the step up. So I had a Murray bike. Okay, uh, and yeah. then I had a, a a Veriflex, and I think I had a Veritech at once. <laughs> See, the thing is, Veriflex, you that is exactly uh-huh. right. Veriflex was a step up from a Nash, but mm-hmm. oh, the, it's the, horrible. The toy store Veriflex was different than like mm. skate shop Veriflex, if I remember right. Mm. There were such things. as I believe there were Veriflex team riders. Were, were there at least one? Oh, I'm going to have to do one. some research. Okay. So, so that was my first board was probably like a Veriflex and then I probably had a Veritech. And then my first real board that I bought, I bought a complete from this kid at my junior high in seventh grade. It was uh, Jeff Candle, Santa oh. Cruz. Okay. Street um, model, the, the red one with the graffiti on the bottom? No, it has uh, it has like this alien holding the, the planet world. Earth yeah. and like a nuclear warhead and like missile in the other hand. Yep. Yeah. If you read the skate shop article uh-huh. uh, that I wrote about the skate shop I had in Bellingham, there's a picture and you can see that very deck on the board behind me. Really? Awesome. <laughs> or on the board behind the person in the picture. I don't mm-hmm. know if, if it's in the one I'm in. Yeah, uh, so that was my first. And then I had, cool. I want to say Independence maybe. But I believe I... that was Jeff Kendall's uh, ramp, like yeah. like vert board, they would call it. Okay. <laughs> and you had Indies? I had Indies, I believe. And then I had a... Uh like rat bone like 85 a's they were super soft you liked the soft wheels yeah i mean did back you, then did you, you ch- choose them to be soft no i mean i was oh you a bought poor the... kid that like you know i don't know how i got the money probably i had a paper out at that point and what did you pay him for that i don't even remember you know 80 bucks i want to say it was used right yeah yeah maybe 50 okay so but i mean that was you were pinching pennies for a while to get that 50 bucks up and then when it broke like I probably didn't have a skateboard for another year and a half. <laughs> it was weird. Like when I started, cause I was really poor too. Mm-hmm. When I started just getting the first board was so difficult. Yeah. But after that, everyone, like once you had kind of proven yourself, mm-hmm. if you, if you broke something, mm-hmm. the other dudes that I skated with would be like, okay, we got to figure out how to get him. We got to get him another truck. Yeah. We got to get, who's got, who's got parts, you mm-hmm. know, this friend, John Dodd, who would totally try to MacGyver stuff. And you know, he'd be like, no, no, we can, you, know, so yeah. you broke, you broke the base plate. We'll go uh-huh. get another base plate off this one where they broke the hanger or whatever. And they, yeah. you know, so we did that whenever possible. Mm-hmm. And then I'd always kind of have in my head, like, how am I going to get my next mm-hmm. deck? You know, I'd oh, start yeah. saving up for it. So mm-hmm. when the inevitable happened, the worst thing would be though, is when you have a board that wasn't worn out at all and you fall off it and goes out in the street and that horrible car <laughs> hit happens. Mm-hmm. Or you just rail slide too hard and <laughs> break it in half. There is that. That mm-hmm. if when you're a little more advanced, I guess. <laughs> Originally, we were breaking them by like writing them off of uh, like uh, loading docks. Mm-hmm. That was the first real board and yeah. truck breaking thing that we we were getting into. Those loading docks were like they might as well have been like the skate parks of that era. Like, yeah, there weren't skate parks, so you would go find these you know ramps that were somewhat shaped like a half pipe, but <laughs> <and> you <laughs> would just pretend it was a half pipe. 
<laughs> totally. Yeah. And, you know, the loading docks were always at some cold storage place or someplace where the mm-hmm. dudes that worked there were not people you necessarily always wanted to run into. Uh-huh. So you get run out sometimes or other times they'd just be like, I'm not messing with it. Mm-hmm. I don't get paid enough for this shit. And they just go into work <laughs> yeah. and leave you alone. Uh-huh. But uh, in Bellingham, it was the cold storage where we'd go. And yeah, a lot of, a lot of things got broken there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was lucky that once I got into high school, like there still weren't a lot of skate parks. There was like the Seattle one. I want to say Bellevue had that one, but you had to pay for it. Then that crappy Mercer Island one were like the only skate parks. But we had, uh, there was a place called Barb's. Have you heard of it? No. It was, it was basically like this kid, the skater kid who lived like in the middle of woods, in the woods. Like if you're familiar with uh, the Auburn, like Lake Taps area. Kind of. It's like. This is where Tori grew up. Uh, it's like <laughs> way out in the woods. And uh, you would have to drive like literally. I mean, I lived in Kent, you know, over by Lake Meridian, which is probably like 15, 20 minutes off of I-5. And then you had to go like another like 20 minutes further out into the woods. And uh, and yeah, so this kid lived there and he had a half pipe in his backyard. And then he had like some some uh, like like street ramp set up in, on like a basketball court in his in his. But you had to drive out into the woods and then literally down a gravel road to get to it. Like if you didn't know about it, there's no way you'd know. But he moved away, I guess. And um, but the, his mom was super cool, and her name was Barb. Okay. And uh, she basically let the kids like come skate there. Still, she would be like, you know, as long as you guys keep you know the ramps up, you know keep them up and you know you can come skate here and so you would you'd go i would go there like every day after school and there would be probably like anywhere between like 10 and like 30 kids oh wow there. and how many ramps it was a full half pipe there was a i want to say like an eight foot half pipe mm-hmm. and then he had a mini ramp that was like uh three feet and both of those were under like this really well put together tarp and oh, so they were nice. both super nice and then the street course and you could skate at rain or shine yeah it was great And it was was a street course also? Yeah. It was so cool. And so you'd go out there and uh, at that time there were a lot of pro snowboarders in the Auburn area. Mm -hmm. Like if you remember like Jamie Lynn or Todd Slosher, but I don't know. You'd go out there and all these like pro snowboarders would be there. And like. Oh, it was a place to go, man. And they had like, I want to say there was like a boom box up there so you could bring your tapes and like (laughs) jam whatever you want, you know, put in some Operation Ivy or some whatever minor threat and just dropping the half pipe. It was awesome. That there's nothing. I don't know if I'll ever do anything in my life as fulfilling as skateboarding, a homemade half pipe mm-hmm. to a second or third generation punk rock tape and a crappy boom box <laughs> yeah. like that. I'm sorry. There's sure. just, you could spend it's thousands great. of dollars and you won't have that experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the first time I met Tori, uh-huh. I actually was driving to Barb's and he was walking down the road and I was like, Oh, this guy's got a skateboard. I'm going to pick him up. So I just nice. like, he wasn't even like hitching. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> Hey, you going to Barb's? He's like, yeah. I was like, hop, hop in. And, uh, that was the first time I met him. And then I would see him at shows, but like, it wasn't really like we were friends, you know, like I wouldn't even really say hi to sure. him. And the guy we're talking about is Tori O'Donnell mm-hmm. yeah, sorry. who sang for left with nothing, mm-hmm. sang for Lahar. Mm-hmm. Is he, is he in a band now? Not right now. Uh, he played bass in Deadweight for a little bit. Okay. Deadweight, the band that uh-huh. you're singing for right now. Yeah. But so he's he's someone, I mean, I, I released records, mm-hmm. you know, with his band and he's a great guy. Oh, he yeah. was one of the people that came up the first night that I met you or that uh-huh. I'm remembering. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So how old were you guys? Oh, you were driving. Yeah. So I was probably like, uh, 
don't know, 16 or 17 at that time. And then I would see him at shows. Like I would go, this was before I really knew about the local hardcore shows. This is when I would hear like echoes of undertow playing like right. some basement or something. And uh, so I would go to like bigger shows. Like, I don't know if you remember, like they used to do shows at the King theater. So I would go up there. Sure. But now, and I would see him. Hold on. But, how, how do you go to your first show? Because mm-hmm. going to shows, we all, we yeah. all know about that. But yeah. what's your first show? Mm-hmm. So my first like real show that I went to was Seaweed, The Lemons, Alcohol Funny Car, and Popsicle. Okay. Played at Green River Community College. Okay. It was awesome. Yeah. And Seaweed was like my favorite band at that time. So like I think my second show was Seaweed at uh, the King Theater with Spark Marker. Oh. And that, that was awesome. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Was this right around the time? I'm trying to get some time frame here. Was mm-hmm. it around when four came out? Were they a big deal yet, or was it just before they broke? Yes, it was. Um, four, I think, had just come out because they were. I mean, and also it was like during the whole grunge explosion, so like everything was huge. So like, I want to say that that King Theater show was probably sold out, which that place is ginormous, right? The King Cat Theater. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was big. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was hard to sell it out. Um, like if no effects came to town, I know mm-hmm. they played there with face to face and like then offspring. I saw rancid there. I did my first stage dive at the rancid show there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. So you go to your first show. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you decide you're going to go to the show? Um, actually let me back it up a little bit. Oh yes. That was my first show, but the first real band I saw, this is funny. The <laughs> first real band that I saw was Ricky Tiki Tabby. They played at my high school. And it was like, and it wasn't a show because it was at a high school. Yeah, event. I don't count it. But it was like, was it? Wait, was it at night? Yeah, yeah. Did other bands play? Yes, but they were like, like they would do like Alice in Chain cover, Chains covers and like Pearl Jam. So covers it was like stuff. a school dance, kind of. But like there was like a mosh pit until it got <laughs> shut down. You know, like <laughs> um, no moshing. Was this Lex singing Ricky Tiki Tabby? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Did they have a different singer before? After. Okay. Yeah. So it was I'm... definitely Lex singing. And I think that was probably the first seven inch I ever bought too. Oh, right on. Yeah. Whoa. So your first, your first live punk band is Ricky Tiki Tavi yeah. and your first vinyl is Ricky Tiki Tavi. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So I do, you know, I knew this girl in high school who her boyfriend, I think maybe put out that record or, or did something with them. And so like, that's how it got, it, that's how it happened. They came cool. and played with a bunch of grunge cover bands, but <laughs> Okay, so that was, you already liked punk music, you got to go see a thing at your high school, mm-hmm. and then you decided, I'm going to this Green River Community College, I'm going to see, yeah. I'm going to see a show with the big kids. Yeah. So the seaweed thing, you know, I think the first time I heard them was probably like, either, the, like the end had like a local show, maybe there was a, I, they recorded like a Beat Happening cover, Foggy Eyes. Seaweed and did? I think, yeah, they recorded a couple of Beat Happening songs, which is kind of funny, but uh <laughs> Are you a fan of Beat Happening? Not really. Like, I think they're kind of cool and weird, but I just think it's funny that Seaweed's covered them. Like, I don't think anyone's mentioned Beat Happening on this sh- on yeah. this podcast yet. Yeah. <laughs> I was just waiting for it to come around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they, I want to say they recorded two Beat Happening covers, and then I definitely saw them do another Beat Happening cover live once. And I had no idea why this band that I loved loved Beat Happening, but... <laughs> <laughs> So it was either that or, um, do you remember, well, they had like, there were three video shows that I watched. One was Bomb Shelter, mm-hmm. Bohemia After Dark. I've heard of it. Never and, saw it. And Northwest Rock, I want to say. 
There was one called Northwest Rock? I think so. And I think Seaweed like hosted it once. Oh, nice. And they had the video for Bill, um, which is off uh, the week record. Yeah. Um, and that's what that that video is what made me want to play SG, which I still play to this day. Um, oh, cool. From yeah. the from the Seaweed Bill video. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, again, wait, I think so Wade had one. All right, but so four was our the, the record four. See, I feel like Seaweed Four mm-hmm. is where they really break for yeah, a lot of people. They, for sure. they had video play mm-hmm. off two videos on mm-hmm. MTV. Beavis and Butthead made fun of one yeah. of the videos, made fun of Dan Dean, Dan who's <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking uh-huh. about. Yeah. Um, stealing the, bikes, stealing. It's a great video. It's awesome. It really is. I you know Michael Ann had never seen it, mm-hmm. and I showed it to her a couple weeks ago, and she mm-hmm. was just like, "Why don't people look at this and go, this yeah. is how you do a music video?" <laughs> That was a great video. Um, I wasn't able to. They seaweed said they wanted all the hardcore kids to come out to the arcade mm-hmm. to be in the video because mm-hmm. they were going to be playing in an arcade. They wanted everyone to be playing video games in the background, uh-huh. and then these kids come to the arcade and steal their steal bikes. Yeah, and it's a uh, <laughs> Dan Dean and a Sean mm-hmm. named Sean. Can't think of his last name right now. Yeah. Who was around? Yeah, he, he had long hair. When I met him, he was a, a, a bald Krishna kid, mm-hmm. but he had long hair in that video, <laughs> and uh, oh, so good. Yeah. Okay, but so when so, you went and saw them, it must have been when Week was out. Um, I don't know if Four had come out the first time I saw them or not. Like, I know, I don't think it was out yet, but it was out by the time the second time I saw them was. So, but I remember, like, that show had a huge impact on me because I still, like, like, I listened to a lot of, like, punk music, but I still wasn't, like, exclusively punk. You know, I would listen to, you know, whatever. Like, Whatever's on the radio? Yeah. Um, what is your most embarrassing, best-loved song from when you were a kid? Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I mean, any of them would be pretty embarrassing, but you could think oh, of yeah. one that you really dug. Um, I don't know. In junior high, I, you know, it's funny because I started listening to, like, Suicidal Tendencies and, like, and Descendants, like, Nine Inch Nails pretty early, like, seventh grade but then i kind of still listen to a bunch of whack stuff like yeah, yeah. um like bell biv devoe and like you know <laughs> stuff like that, <laughs> that fresh prince that's you know? a good one oh. yeah okay so it was kind of rap and hip-hop that you were into yeah whatever was on the radio you know um so but yeah the seaweed show sorry go well, ahead. i was gonna say okay so you were a kid who listened to music mm-hmm. early on mm-hmm. neighborhood kids listen to music yeah. you were because I mean, some kids aren't even aware of music until later you know you know <laughs> I don't know how I got into music. Like, I think my parents had a bunch of records, you know, like my mom had a bunch of like, I don't know, probably like Simon and Garfunkel and like maybe some like opera like yeah. records and stuff. And I used to have a record player that I would listen to like, uh, I don't even remember, Winnie the Pooh like records or something yeah, when I was records, a little right? kid. Yeah. But the first tape that I ever had was actually, I found one in my backyard. Like it, maybe it wasn't in my bag. I found it in the neighborhood. Yeah. I did had no idea what it was. It didn't have any markings on it at all. And I took it home and I was like, Oh, I wonder what's on this. And I started listening to it and it was like the first rap that I ever heard. And I'm like, what is going on here? Like, Do you know what it was? No, I had no idea. I found out later, like years later, I played so like I played that tape so many times because it was the only thing I had. Sure. And, uh, a few years later, I found out it was Run DMC. Nice. Yeah. That is killer. That's awesome. Was it what tougher than leather? Um, I, it was the early stuff. Like, like I don't the actually know. Yeah. Well yeah. yeah, I don't know the name of it because obviously <laughs> I don't even know. Like... <laughs> Whoa, well, that's that's yeah. cool. That's a gift from the heavens. Mm-hmm. All right, but so I think the first CD I had was probably like Kenny G or something whack. But <laughs> right, 
So at some point, though, someone plays either mm-hmm. Nine Inch Nails or Suicidal Tendencies. Suicidal was the first. Was the first like, because Nine Inch mm-hmm. Nails you could have heard on the radio. Not at this point, like. But it was it was yeah. it came Later along on. quickly. Mm-hmm. So. Tell me about that experience. Did someone mm-hmm. say, hey, I want you to listen to something? Did they bring mm-hmm. it to your house? Did you go to someone's house? Was it outside? Was it a skate ramp? Yeah. Where did it happen? Uh-huh. So my friend Mick, I would just go and hang out at his house and he listened to a bunch of like weird, obscure stuff like um, like Descendants and, and, and Suicidal were the ones that really stood out to me. Um, he listened to a lot of like um, like waiver music, you know, The Cure and stuff what, that I got into a little bit later. But um, I think uh, I love that you call it waiver music. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I really do. <laughs> what was oh, and uh, the other thing too that he got me into was uh, was straight out of Compton that NWA oh, tape, and I was just like, "Whoa, what's this? Oh my god, <laughs> this is scary!" Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it wasn't that he said, "Sit down, I want to play something for you. Get ready for this." It was yeah. more just that it was in the background at his mm-hmm. house, and you picked it up, and the ones that you clued into were suicidal tendencies and the descendants. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming with suicidal tendencies, it's because the stuff the guy was saying was just Ridiculous. absolute insanity. Yeah. Uh-huh. All they wanted was a Pepsi. Mm-hmm. Definitely is something that, that yeah. anchored that in people's minds. Mm-hmm. Um, but I shot Reagan yeah. and, and I saw your mommy and your mommy's dead. <laughs> that was, was the one that stood out to me the most. It was like, what? Okay. I and thought it's it was like, funny. So I... And it's like my, I don't know if it was like this with you, but mm-hmm. for me it's like my parents cannot hear this. Oh yeah, for like, sure. Not at, not yeah. any of it. You had secret shoe boxes and. Did you do that? Did you hide? Oh yeah. Hide music? For sure, for so sure. what was your parents' relationship to your music? Uh, they didn't like it when they heard it, but I would definitely not like play that stuff around them. For but sure. you weren't forbidden from like rock music or punk rock music. No, just, I mean, if they would have heard it, you know, with swearing or, or whatever, like, you know, I shot your mommy, like definitely those tapes would have been thrown away <laughs> or burned or something. But <laughs> <laughs> did you ever get in trouble with music with your parents? Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, I mean, one time they found... There was a uh, Urban Dance Squad. Do you remember that band? Yeah, they had a so their lyric sheet um, was really weird because it it would have pieces of the lyrics but not the full song. Right. And if you read this one song, I don't remember what song it was. It sounded like it was just like about doing drugs and like just being horrible. Like because those were the parts of the lyrics that were there. When I actually found out what the real lyrics were, like it was total like anti like. Oh, well, that's interesting. Like yeah. every other line then changes yeah. the context of the. Okay. It's real weird. So that was the, the one thing where my mom made me like, like read the lyrics to her kind of like it was one of those things. And I just kind of refused to do it. I was like, well, no, <laughs> but they take away your urban dance squad tape. Probably. I was a CD at that point. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's I guess CDs are in play at at this point. I have another kind of funny story about uh, music getting me in trouble. Oh, I I want to hear stories about music getting you in trouble. Um, when I was this was before I really kind of got into hard like found out about the local scene, but I was going to a lot of shows like as many shows as I could go to, and um, I loved uh, Fits of Depression was a local band that I really was into. And I was always getting grounded, not because I was a, I was actually a pretty good kid. Like I didn't really do a lot of like bad things, but I was horribly not punctual. So like I was always late to anything. Anytime I would go out, I would be late. So I'd get grounded. I was always grounded. grounded for coming home after curfew. Yeah. I was always grounded when I was a kid. So this one time while I was grounded, I snuck out 
basically like at dinner time snuck out met this a friend of mine um on the side of the road and she drove me to see fits of Dep- this was at the king theater as well fits of depression engine kid wool and space boy the place was huge but yeah. there were probably like 80 people there which is a pretty big show but unfortunately like that place, for that lineup i can see that happening <laughs> yeah. it's too bad because it's probably it a great cool. show yeah. yeah so i got busted on that one when i came home <laughs> My parents they probably for you. they probably found out that I snuck out probably like thirty minutes after I left. So like <laughs> they like closed my window, you know, did that thing. So I had to kind of like knock on the door to get in. <laughs> so I got granted for longer for that. But <laughs> and I, you know, unfortunately, my mom, you know how parents will kind of try to guilt you and be like, you know, was it worth it? And I gave the wrong answer. I was You're like, like yes. yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> that was not the answer Wait, she wanted to hear. <laughs> see, that's oh, I feel like okay. I don't have kids. <laughs> you don't have kids, do you, Chris? No, not yet. Okay, so there. So for me, I hear that. I'm like, right, good answer. <laughs> Hell yeah! And I feel like if I was uh-huh. a parent, I'd be like, right on. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently, something changes, and you yeah. you get a whole different a whole <laughs> different perspective when the kid's yours. Uh-huh. But you know, for my friends' kids, I've always kind of you know, kind of liked it when they were being <laughs> bad. Not 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 like drugs bad. Mm-hmm. Not like screw up your life bad. Just like rebelling a little bit. Got it? I mean, everyone. The story of everyone's life is when they rebelled and grew uh-huh. and changed and had things happen yeah. that were important to them forever. Mm-hmm. And then parents set up. They try to set up these stumbling blocks to keep mm-hmm. that from happening. So yeah. I don't. I don't quite understand it. But I got another story that goes with that. So the, my best friend in high school, the one that I would go to like skate with all the time, he smoked a lot of weed, but I didn't like the one time I did, I did with him, but, um, he was, uh, he went somewhere with his family and, uh, like on a ferry and he was like sitting there kind of leaning back and he had his, his pipe in his pocket <laughs> and he went up to go to the bathroom and I guess the, he was leaning back. So the pipe slipped out. And when he went, his pipe was there, like, and his mom saw it and she, and he comes back and she's like, what's this? And he says, he he says, when he tells me the story, he says, well, there's two things I could have done. I could have lied, which would have made it worse, or I could just tell the truth. And he's like, oh, that's my pipe. And she's like, why do you have this? He says, because I like to smoke weed. (laughs) (laughs) There's the answer. His mom got so mad, but his dad, who was like reading a newspaper, just kind of like put it up higher (laughs) so that he wouldn't get in trouble for laughing. <laughs> Wait, so the, but you could see the paper shaking. Yeah, he just kind of like pulled it up over his face, like, "Uh oh, my wife can't see me laughing at this." <laughs> he got it from somewhere, like father, like son. Yeah, <laughs> it makes me think of a, a Christmas story. You know, when the kid swears in front of dad, and then the mom calls her friend and says, "Uh." Where did he hear such such language? And you can hear the woman on the other end of the phone if you listen carefully. Go, I assume from his father. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay, so that friend of yours—that's mm-hmm. the person you smoked weed with. Mm-hmm. Now, had he smoked weed for a long time before the first time you did it? Yeah, for well, so, you know, a few years probably. Was he kind of excited that you were going to smoke weed with him? Probably. He's probably like, okay. And then was he like, oh, I don't. That wasn't great. Yeah. Like, was he bummed when you were, didn't do it more? No. I mean, we had fun. Like, we went out and did stuff and, like, you know, like, we had fun night. But it was, like, the way that I kind of saw it was, like, I, you know, I have fun when I don't do that stuff, you know? Like, I do the same stuff, like, you know. So, so it wasn't, it wasn't a, I can just see that being, like, if you had a, 
if this guy was really into weed and his mm-hmm. good buddy isn't yeah. and then his good buddy wants to do it it could be uh-huh. like yeah cool yeah. but I, it seems to be like a lot of those stories end up being like oh not as cool as i thought it would yeah. be i don't know maybe you have to ask him on his <laughs> podcast <laughs> wait is he is he someone i'm gonna have on no okay definitely not <laughs> Uh, okay. So that makes sense. I mean, I guess, I guess you are a teenager at a time when you can hear alternative music. You can hear punk rock music on MTV, mm-hmm. on the radio. Things are a little more accessible. Mm-hmm. So it's not as it's, it's, I mean, still, I think it's funny that even though, even though it was that much further along, mm-hmm. the first thing that makes an impression on you is the first thing that makes an impression on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm probably, I'm probably 10 years older. Mm-hmm. Is that about right? I think that's probably about right. 38? Oh, I'm less than 10 years older than you. Ha, huh, that makes me feel happy. But um, it is, it, it it definitely, one, it speaks to how amazing the mm-hmm. first Suicidal Tendency uh, record is. Uh-huh. <laughs> but also, um, it's, you know, I, I always look for that, I always look for those big moments. And maybe it, they're not as, you know, there could just be someone who's just playing that music and you kind of get, get it by osmosis a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's. That's very cool. I think I kind of get a sense of, I mean, skateboarding was something that kids in the neighborhood did. Mm-hmm. And you got into that. Did you ride BMX bikes too? You said you had a Huffy. Yeah. No, I never had a Huffy. I had a no. Murray. Oh, I'm, I'm so <laughs> sorry. A Murray. Um, I, you know, I rode, I never got into like, you know, serious. Like I would ride around the neighborhood. We would like ride real fast and then stick our feet in the the little fork between the tires so that it would stop and do it. We call them endos. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> it was basically like pressing your front brake, but you didn't have front brakes cause they were the you yeah. know back up to brake. Sure. So you just jam your foot in there. And sometimes if you're going too fast, you do a front flip and it would hurt a lot. But did you have any dreams of like BMX racing? No, not at all. Like, you know, it was just something we did, you know? And, um, I mean, there was a couple of jumps around cause we lived by like, you know, like woods and apartments and stuff like that. So we'd go off these jumps, but nothing serious. All right. What about, um, and then we'll, we'll get out of, we'll get out of the young years. What about stuff like outdoors, outdoorsy stuff? Were you a, Mm -hmm. were you a city kid or did you do any kind of like hunting, fishing, camping, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing? We did some camping, um, never hunting. Um, this is just something I was never around. Um, my dad definitely hunted with his father. But, like, it didn't, like, pass on. So, I mean, he would never go hunting alone or anything. So, that was never something that I was around. But we, you know, we'd go camping, you know, family adventure out to, you know, whatever, Mount Rainier National Park or something. But, yeah. But mostly it was it was a lot of just stuff in the neighborhood, you know, riding bikes around, uh, maybe some a lot of swimming, like going to the lakes and go swimming and stuff. But, yeah. Okay. And you were, I mean, you're, you're a pretty athletic guy now. Were you always an athletic kid? Did all this come pretty naturally to you? Um, you know, I, I never played like sports or anything in, in school. Um, high school, you didn't do any sports? Well, I did. I wanted to play football when I was a a junior, I think in high school. And then I went, or maybe I was a sophomore, but I went for like a week and then it was like spring training and I was going to play football next season. But, um, I basically had to decide but between like after school job and being able to afford snowboarding. Oh, right. So it was either snowboarding or football for me. And that was an easy decision then. So you chose, you chose snowboarding over, over football. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't blame you. Yeah. So, um, but what? Oh, yeah, before on. that, I mean, we would always like play football in the backyard or, you know, smear the 
you know. Wait, what did we used to call it when we were kids? I <laughs> no love comment. it. Smear, smear the you know. <laughs> yeah. I so. it was it was surprising to me. Uh so I'm going to say this as as <laughs> yeah, what sure. it is. We used to play Smear the Queer. Uh-huh. And it was shocking to me as a little kid when I was yeah. first told that was a that was something you shouldn't say. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then it, I didn't know what it meant. It uh-huh. just meant a word for the person you're going after in the thing, yeah. right? And yeah. I think it was my mom was probably like, no, no, you can't, you can't play that game. Yeah. It's like, what, why? You know? But of course now I look back and I'm like, uh-huh. oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But it was probably also the first time when I was like, when I felt in myself the revolt against mm-hmm. like, like, no, that's what it's called. Yeah. I'm not going to change what I say <laughs> because someone else doesn't like it. It's uh-huh. like, oh, okay, you gotta learn that lesson. Some people never learn that lesson. Yeah. I think the PC name for it was like Kill the Carrier. <laughs> whoa, whoa, wait. You're saying that's better? <laughs> well, you're carrying the ball. So, like, oh, I you thought just you meant kill like him. carrier. Like, no, not like, like disease carrier. Sexually transmitted <laughs> disease carrier. Kill, kill the carrier. <laughs> Although, you know, maybe that's where it came from. If the yeah. other one was. Oh, my know. God. Well, I immediately jumped to that. So, yeah. wait. So, it's the same game, same rules. Uh huh. Kill the carrier. <laughs> Whoever has the ball, you get them. <laughs> Until they no longer have the ball, basically. That's the oh, only rule. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe my... Ver- okay, so all of a sudden, my childhood just got a little bit darker, because I don't think we had a ball. I think we just <laughs> ran after one kid and beat on him. <laughs> and you hoped you weren't that kid. Yeah. They would just call you, the, you know, and then you had to run until... <laughs> and I don't think it passed anyone else until you'd taken a beating. Hmm. No, we definitely had a ball. So if you didn't want to get, you know, smeared, you could pass the ball off to some other poor kid and try to smear him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very different game. When did you, you, so you listened to Minor Threat, Mm -hmm. skateboarding and all that. And you, Mm -hmm. I mean, you you just kind of, probably your same buddy that had like descendants and. and... No, actually. So he moved away like um, maybe eighth grade or so. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think that's when I kind of started listening to some whack stuff. But then like Nirvana started happening and like that stuff just seemed more like, I don't know, like real to me, you know? So that kind of got me back into, into punk rock and like, you know, hard music. Um, I think I actually heard Fugazi before I heard Minor Threat and that was like a skate magazine thing. Like. Like I saw, like there was a, uh, I don't remember who it was, but it says so and so drop. Like the caption is so and so dropping a, a set of eight, you know, an eight set on the way to the Fugazi show or something like that. And uh, that's how I heard about Fugazi. So I was like, oh, let's check this band out. And uh, then later, like this girl that I was like trying to hang out with, she was from San Diego and she used to hang out with like a bunch of skinhead dudes. And uh, one of her old friends came up and he was like they used to run with like, like the San Diego, like Matt Hensley, like, like those dudes. And, uh, so he, anyways, he was up and we went skating and I was playing Fugazi and he's like, Hey, have you ever heard minor threat? And I was like, no. Nah. And he's like, it's this dude's like old band. And he had the tape on him and I put it in and I was like, when I heard that, like that was everything changed, like suicidal for me. And like descendants was cool. Cause it was like angry. And I was just like, you know, crazy kid, you yeah. know? But, like, when I heard Minor Threat, like, to me, that was, like, real rage. Just, like, the instant, like, I heard his voice, I was like, whoa, like, this dude is 
pissed about something. Yeah. I had no idea what, but I was like, this is going to be my new... I knew then, like, this is going to be, like, my new favorite band. You know what's funny? I've never thought about this too much, but you're talking about California bands, right? Mm -hmm. And when, like, even if they're angry, they're still a California <laughs> accent. Uh -huh. They're still a... Like when they curse, it yeah. kind of sounds, it sounds like the Californian skit on the, on <laughs> SNL, you know, right? Yeah. It's like beach, it's like beach angry as opposed to like. <laughs> but when you hear an East Coast band, yeah. the way they deliver the lyrics, the uh -huh. way they curse, it's oh, yeah. harder. Oh, so, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Ian, yeah. I mean, I remember, and you know, what's funny is I was just listening to a bunch of Minor Threat the other day. And I'm like, it's, I, it, it, it seemed meaner mm -hmm. and, and and had with more cursing i know there is a lot but mm -hmm. like i think in my head over the years i've just added yeah. i've added a lot of a lot of cursing to it yeah but yeah i remember thinking okay my parents i mean even when i got into minor threat i was even a bit older but it's still like no they can't no mm -hmm. this isn't this never gets played out loud because oh, yeah. they're gonna they're not gonna necessarily listen to the message mm -hmm. they're not gonna care about that mm -hmm. so i would listen to uh, agent orange mm-hmm Agent Orange, um, I could play out loud. Mm -hmm. So I'd, I'd listen, and then I'd put the headphones on, and it would be seven seconds because it's gonna be a little more, you know, Chris yeah, yeah. seven seconds. Um, but okay, so you you get into uh, Minor Threat because mm -hmm. dude knows you like Fugazi. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At which point after that, do you connect with Straight Edge as a concept that you want to be a part of? Um, you know, it's funny because I didn't really listen to the lyrics like super closely for a while, and you know, for a while was probably like a month or two you know but um i didn't really understand what the song straight edge was about like out of step definitely you can understand that one it, mm -hmm. it's there's not a lot of reading between the lines of that one but um by that point i had already decided kind of that i didn't really want to like smoke anymore and i was hanging out with this other dude that like that's literally all he ever wanted to do was like smoke smoke weed drink like i would go hang out with him and his friend and like we would hang out all night and they would just drink 40s each and like I would just hang out and like listen to music with them and smell absolutely horrible the next day because like my clothes were like drenched in cigarette smoke. But but yeah. somehow you were just immune to the peer pressure. I were you just the kind of guy when you'd say no, people wouldn't think to ask twice? Uh, they would, but like the more that they would, the more that sometimes that they would like, you know, be more assertive about it, the more I'd be like, no, I said uh, you no, you know, like. I don't know. It and, was an affront. You were mm -hmm. gonna, you, you weren't gonna cave. So they yeah. must have just given up on it after a while. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. So, and I think at this point, like, my friend that listened to kind of punk music was gone, and I kind of had to rediscover like, like punk rock by myself. Really, like there weren't any kids at my school that listened to that stuff. Like, a lot of the skaters either listened to rap or they listened to like, you know smashing pumpkins stuff like that which i thought was cool but it wasn't and i listened to it you know don't get me wrong i listened to it i um i liked it but like what i really liked was like you know the angry stuff so i was listening to like you know stuff that i saw in snowboard videos like pennywise and um you know rancid was a big one um you know minor threat and was like the one that changed everything though and then from there it was grilled biscuits and youth today and um you know, stuff like that. But look, there's a jump from Minor Threat to Gorilla Biscuits because there's different yeah. time periods. Mm -hmm. But did you just find out about that the same way? Or were you starting to meet straight edge kids? Or It might have been that dude that I met at that party that got me uh, into Minor, into Gorilla Biscuits. Like, it might, I think, it, you know, thinking back now, it might have been like, oh, you like Minor Threat? You should check out Gorilla Biscuits. And when I did, like, 
that's the record really that like was it for me you know and i got youth of day and it took me a while to like them like to, i couldn't really hang with the vocals at first mm-hmm. i felt the same way yeah but then. it was funny because it was literally like overnight like one day i just popped it in and and uh i was like whoa the voice is so cool but before yeah. that i always thought it was like the i don't know but i would still listen to it because like i mean you know whatever you'd work hard and buy records and you didn't know or you know not records tapes and you wouldn't know what they sound like and if they were horrible then <laughs> you know you have two decisions you can either say hey that was a wasted money or you can say i'm gonna make myself like this yeah exactly you know <laughs> there's a lot more value in this because i spent three dollars on mm-hmm. this damn it that's you know yeah. <laughs> strife was, was that was strife for me like oh yeah i didn't really like them but i made myself like them i was like i spent money on this Which these are straight edge i'm straight one edge. truth yeah the lv yeah awesome so okay but there's a point where you said i'm straight edge mm-hmm. yeah and i don't remember the date um i do remember the first show that i x'd up at okay and that was uh it was at the lake city community center down in uh lakewood tacoma and it was uh i think balance of the world was the headliner um trial i think their demo had just come out okay Early trial. Yeah. I think if you, the darkest days, seven inch, like the cover shot of Tim and there's like people singing along. I think that might've been that show. Oh, okay. Who else? Maybe botch played too, but could I went to well a few be. shows at that place and, uh, yeah, around that era, but that was the first show I X'd up at and, and then it was, that was it. You're like, oh, this feels pretty good. Yeah. I think I'll do looks, this for the rest cool. of my life. It <laughs> does look, cool. look so cool, man. And... <laughs> Even then, it still wasn't really prevalent. No, not at all. Like it not was, a, you know, it it less was known about it in the world. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, man, there was something. There's something to putting, you know, that black X on your hand and being like, and I don't do it a lot. Mm-hmm. I haven't done it for a long time because yeah. I'm in my forties. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but that's still mm-hmm. every once in a while. There's a reason for it, <laughs> yeah. you know. And uh, yeah, but but man, it it felt like it felt bold. Mm-hmm. Uh, like at you know 17 or something to do that <laughs> yeah and you you know my parents were probably what does this dude have like so <laughs> right around that time i also had this black hoodie that i went to like a fabric store or like a craft supply store and, and i bought these like iron-on x's <laughs> that i ironed onto the front of my uh my hoodie pouch nice and i thought those looked so cool like um <laughs> but my i'm sure my parents were like what, what? why does this guy have x like triple x like i don't know but and did you explain it to them and they were like no i just oh you did i didn't really like talk to them you know i was just like in and out all the time like oh, it would blow them off okay that's <laughs> kind of a so they're just looking dick. at you with concern yeah it's funny one time my my mom was like are you ever gonna like not be into this straight edge thing anymore like you know like she didn't know what it was but how she, old were you Oh, I don't know, probably like 19 or something. Mm-hmm. And, and I just thought it was funny that she would be advocating for me to not be straight edge because she didn't really know what that meant, you know? But I, was, I just kind of thought it was funny. Like, well, if you knew, like, what that entails, you probably... <laughs> Did she see something on the news? Is straight edge a gang? No, this was before that, probably, you know? <laughs> the, the what was it? 60 Minutes or something? Yeah. Yeah. So, guys with swords... Oh, Jesus. <laughs> All right. So we're kind of getting up to the to the place where we're going to cross paths here. But mm-hmm. so trial, trial and balance of the world. We're talking about like 94. Was mm, it? It was, was a it, little bit later. I want to say it was either 
like late late 95 or early early 96 okay and balance I, of the world was still playing yeah it it might have been you know it was probably late 95 okay cuz i before that i went to like the first show that i w- probably like hardcore sh- like show quote unquote that i went to that i knew like the bands playing was uh was the first warp tour so like went to go see sick of it all and sieve and uh orange nine millimeter and quicksand quicksand at seattle center and sublime <laughs> Re- i know use for a name <laughs> the ones i don't remember l7 maybe that sounds right and yeah, no doubt headlined oh okay yeah. and i they weren't even really that big yet i didn't think i i don't know like they weren't like radio big yet right but apparently they were bigger and sick of all, which their set was insane. So wait, were you out in all that craziness when, when all the fights were happening, like during uh, quicksand? Uh, maybe, but I just was kind of oblivious to it, you know, okay. like, um, I was probably like circulating and like, there was a know. lot of fighting at oh, that. I'm sure. Reason. The, the, the different groups were not <laughs> yeah, mixing yeah. very well. That will happen. <laughs> that will happen. I remember, so <laughs> I had these kind of like random friends that weren't into music that I kind of got into like punk music. And one of them was this big football player, dude. Like he played football and rugby and he was huge and terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. And also like not very uh, smart. (laughs) (laughs) He was like a Neanderthal. Okay. And, uh, but loved him, you know, but he listened to like Mighty Mighty Boston's. And so oh, that's, that's how I kind of brought him in. I was like, yo, you should like, oh, he already listened to Mighty Mighty yeah, Boston's. Yeah. He didn't, For some... he didn't like pick Boston's from the stuff that you listened to. No, like he, okay. somehow he had a Mighty Mighty Boston's sticker on his car. Nice. And he wasn't really like, he, what, he didn't hang out with the football dudes cause he was too crazy. Like <laughs> he's the kind of dude that would like just get in fights, the drop of hat. Right. But I remember at Warp Tour. We brought him. He had to work that day. <laughs> he worked at like a leather store, like like a wallet store in the mall. Uh-huh. And the way that he got out of work that day was he climbed up on a ladder in the back room and fell off of it on purpose. <laughs> it didn't occur to him that he could have just like knocked over some stuff and said that he, he fell off. He literally climbed a ladder and then fell off of it and was like, oh, I got to go home. So he actually injured himself. Yeah. Oh, wow. So was he like, yeah, this would be a lot more fun if I wasn't, if my shoulder wasn't. He wasn't that messed up, but he was like, I mean, it was stupid, obviously. But so we went and uh, I remember there was a one point because he was huge. And so he had circle pit, but he was also kind of a jock, you know, so Mm -hmm. he would circle pit and anyone come near him. He would just like, boom, like just lay him out. Right. Not like trying to fight, but just like that's This is how you mosh. Right. And so you would see the circle pit. And it would be one person on one side and like 18 people on the other side, like all trying <laughs> to stay as far away from as as possible. And we would just kind of like shake our heads and be like, oh, man. He was like the, the giant scary skinhead who wasn't a skinhead. <laughs> exactly. He he got held back in high school um, and he, for some reason, thought that made him cooler than everyone else because he was like. I'm a senior. I'm a super senior. So oh, he would no. <laughs> like shoulder check people in the hallway and just like do weird things. And it, like, was, are you going to mess with me? I'm the top yeah. dog. <laughs> oh no. I have more seniority. <laughs> exactly. And this instead was... of being ashamed that, you know, right. But... <laughs> Can I just do this at the community college? Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> so, okay. So that's worked. So that's cool. Yeah. So we're at the same place there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 
when did you connect with the guys that I know now mm-hmm. that that became kind of like Tori and, and Markley and those dudes? Yeah. Um, so I would go to shows and I would drag along these dudes like, you know, um, stinky Sullivan was another one of them. Um, you're laughing, but no, so it's his... funny when you say it because it totally yeah. sounds like well, if you stand remember... by me or something, <laughs> his name, his real name's Chris Sullivan. Yeah. Um, and you know, we skated and stuff and he had one unfortunate day where he just stepped in, like he stepped in dog crap. He stepped in throw up, stepped in a, like, he just stepped in a lot of like garbage, smelly stuff that day. And I think he had like Italian food for dinner. So he smelled like garlic. And <laughs> so we started calling him stinky jokingly but i think it was a uh, growing pains like the neighbor kid's name was stinky sullivan <laughs> and so like it's it stuck and i still to this day like oh, yeah. probably like 25 years later call him stinky sullivan <laughs> yeah when a nickname hits mm-hmm. when there's nothing you can really do yeah so i would i would drag those guys out to shows and they were into it like obviously not as much but like um they were into it they would come hang out and they were real into the girls, so that was probably where that that whole uh, drama came. But oh, when you say those guys, you mean you'd bring like Markley and Tori? No, not yet. So okay. we would go to shows, and then, but we didn't know anyone. And then we, I think it was there was a seven second show at a uh, the Pioneer Square Theater mm-hmm. where I saw Markley and Tori, and I used to see Markley at shows all the time, and he was a punk rocker, um, and had like a mohawk and like a bone like ivory choker thing that he wore. And uh, so I would see him around at shows, but, and then that show, he was like str- total, like straight edge dude, like hoodie and like black axes and, and Tori was there and uh, I kind of recognized him, but I didn't like talk to him. And then the next night we were at Sherry's, which is like Denny, like a Denny's and uh, they walk in with Kevin Williams and like, I think I had probably like my triple X, you know, hoodie and, and they walked by and I was like, oh, it's those dudes. <laughs> And like, then one of them comes back, Kevin comes back. He's like, are you guys straight edge? And, uh, yeah, that's how kind of like how it happened. We just, <laughs> we're like, oh, come were, to our table. Come here. You hang were out. flying the flag. Yeah. So you had a Sherry's night. And then another dude that I started hanging out with at that same point. I don't know if you remember Jeff Bolts. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So he, he worked, I worked at the dollar store and he worked next door at the QFC. And one time I was probably like listening to trial or whatever. And he comes walking in and, uh. He's like, are you listening to trial? And then we became friends. And and so that's kind of how like that group of dudes started like coming around, I guess. Yeah. And then we would go and bring like lots of candy. Because <laughs> you were working at the dollar store. Yeah. I so think that- probably what happened was like the dudes that had the candy knew that the girls like <laughs> wanted it. And so like <laughs> you're, from your perspective, like all these old dudes, older d- dudes were probably like, oh, stupid kids. But like, we probably actually deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you're saying that you're saying that you agree you were annoying. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I can put my hands on that picture. I, I knew where it was not too long ago. Um, Yeah. The original. I don't know if you're in it, though. It might just be Mark Lee and Tori. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then when did you start playing music? Um, just a couple of years after, I mean, we kind of screwed around me and Markley and Tori and Jeff Bolts playing drums and Markley started singing for this band that we were doing. And then Markley stopped being straight edge for the first time <laughs> uh, that we, first time that we know about. <laughs> um, so then I started singing for this band called guideline. Okay. I don't know. It was a, 
It started like almost the exact same time that Champion started. And Jeff was originally playing in both bands. But then we got this kid, Joe. Do you remember Deadlock uh, from Spokane? Yeah. Yeah. Their drummer was going to move to Seattle. He he later played in the, the, the band. Snakes, sorry. The band Deadlock. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I was just thinking Chris for some reason. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cool. Chris played bass in that band. That makes sense. Yeah. That's where the name comes yeah. from. Okay. I want to say that Joe might have been in These Arms Are Snakes for a little bit. Oh, okay. Or one of, the, one of those bands, like, around that era. But late, later on, obviously. But, right. Um, so he moved to Seattle, and we wanted to be in a band with him. So we were like, hey, Jeff, do you want to just play in one band instead, too? And he's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and then Jeff ended up, like, selling his drums or something. And then so that band just died. And then Champion kept going for years and years and years. So when did you join Champion? Uh, OG member, me and Jim. You and Jim were the first two? Well, it was me, Jim, Eagle Barber, Ben Colton, and I, I believe Jeff was there. It was uh, it was the day after that 10-yard fight show at, uh, at Big John's house. Okay. It was a 10-yard fight and fast break, built to last. And uh, we all kind of like, that's like the kind of music that we got into hardcore through. And like, in that time, it was like... I want to say it was probably like 98. So like trial was a band and, and they were like the closest thing to like that kind of thing for us. But we really love like Gorilla Biscuits and like Youth of Today and, and that kind of like the youth crew stuff. And so we wanted to And there to wasn't do... a lot going on in the Northwest at the time. No. Everybody had grown up a little bit and started yeah. playing except for trial. Mm-hmm. And and even trial, like, you know, don't get me wrong. I love trial, but like they were a little bit more metal than even than we wanted to be. Right. And so... When we saw like Tenure Fight and Fast Break, we were just like, we want to do a band that sounds like that, you know? So that's what kind of when it happened was the next day there was a barbecue on the roof of the old gauntlet spot. I don't know if you've ever been there, but Jeff and Juan uh, lived at in like a converted tattoo shop that was converted into a loft and we would have barbecues on the roof there. It was like off of, off of Broadway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so there was a huge barbecue on the roof with like 30 people. And uh, that's when we kind of started talking about it. And Jim and I were going to go on tour with trial and left with nothing. So this is kind of an embarrassing story, but uh, <laughs> it needs, needs to be said. Um, so when we had this idea of starting this band, it didn't have a name yet, but we were like, yeah, we got to have this band. And uh, Jim and I are going on tour. So we need to do something to spread the word about this band. So we went downstairs into a room that no one was in. We put on guitars and we took pictures of each other like jumping in the air with these <laughs> guitars. <laughs> and we were going to make stickers at Kinko's <laughs> so that we could like put them up yeah. while we were on tour. <laughs> um, the extra funny thing about this was in, in one of the pictures, Eagle didn't have his bass plugged in. Like there wasn't a chord. <laughs> and so we're like, oh no, what are we going to do? People are going to know these are fake pictures. Wait, so it was the whole band that faked it? No, I think it was just me and Eagle. Oh, okay. I think it was you, Jim. <laughs> no, I don't think we had any, because we didn't have oh. a microphone, obviously. Okay. Okay. Um, but so we're jumping around, <laughs> taking pictures. Um, but Eagle didn't have his bass plugged in. And we were like, what? This is a problem. I got the film developed. What are we going to do? <laughs> so we went to Kinko's. Um, I photocopied the picture of him jumping with the bass and I drew with a, like a <laughs> felt tip pen, a little cord, even had like a little, like, like a, like a curly cue in it. <laughs> and we made these stickers. I didn't look real. 
it looked because it's a photocopy like, of a picture right? oh yeah yeah because i mean you know kinko's like photocopy stickers it looked real enough that like you, you wouldn't really look at it but do you still have one of those stickers in your life anywhere i don't think so but i would i wish that i, I need did. a picture of that yeah. i need that sticker for the blog page yeah i know someone has to have them like yeah wow so so yeah those those were the roots of champion <laughs> and then how many so then you you kept doing that for well wait that was 98 mm, might have been 99 by then no i think it was 98 because so champions run as a band was. was about six years wait no. when oh no longer uh, when did it see. end we broke up in like 2006 i think so okay maybe eight years okay yeah but the first the first like you know, four years or so was like constantly revolving like cast of characters. So like we never really like we did one like tour in probably 99 off like our first crappy demo that we did when like none of us had ever played any instrument in any band before except for Eagle. Um, so that was that demo. And then <laughs> so <laughs> we went on that tour. I think Joe had quit the band and Eagle's like, oh, my best friend from Arkansas is moving here. Like, let's get him in the band. And uh, we're like, okay, cool. So he, he he gets in the band. We go on tour. This is the Eagle's best friend. They fight the whole time. Uh, and, like, by the end of the tour, Eagle quit the band and was <laughs> was out of champion. And then this dude was like, well, I guess I'm moving back to Arkansas. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> so we after our first tour, we lost, you know, two dudes. And then, you know, from there it was like, I mean... I want to say uh, um, Bill Quimby played one show with us, <laughs> which <laughs> nice. is hilarious. Nice. Um, Bill Quimby, ever yeah. present. So I remember the early days of Champion, and just like any early band, I remember people were kind of like, I don't know. I mean, certainly people that- it That was the- horrible. <laughs> I'm, gonna be, I'm being diplomatic here, <laughs> okay. but you know what I mean? Like, it was horrible, it's, but it was fun. Especially when you- when it gets to the point where you've seen a lot of different iterations, mm-hmm. iterations of bands happen, yeah. you know, but then this thing happened mm-hmm. where champion and stay gold mm-hmm. were both kind of rising at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That was much later. I mean, that was much later. Yeah. We're getting around what, like 2002, <clears throat> mm-hmm. probably somewhere in there. 2001, yeah. 2002. Mm-hmm. But it, it got to the point where you guys were getting better every show like mm-hmm. every show was better than the last and it seemed mm-hmm. like you guys and stay gold would play together and i always felt it was like competition mm-hmm. between friends to try to put on like you know friendly competition a ram kind of had a problem with my yeah. describing it this way so i want to know what you think of that did you feel that that was the case um i don't know i never felt like there was like a I don't even know how to say it, but like, like it wasn't like a mean rivalry by any means. Like it was definitely like, we were always like pushing each other to like be, you know, the best we could be. And like, you know, we would push them hard and they would push us hard. And, uh, but it got results. Yeah. And Himsa was another one too, that like at the same time, like when we played our counter numbers record release, um, which was our second seven inch, the one that came out on bridge nine, Himsa played and stay gold played. And, like, I remember, like, looking out, like, I think it was during Himsa, like, looking out, and this was when Pettibone was singing, and, like, their first record maybe had just come out with him singing, and I remember, like, looking out on at the Paradox and seeing, like, like 200 kids there, probably, maybe three, and for, like, you know, an all-local show, like, that was insane. Like, I just remember, like, looking out and being, like, whoa, like, that this Paradox is, like, scene got fantastic. It was awesome. Yeah. I feel b- there were people who missed that. Yeah. People who it was 
so cool. Had just kind of moved on from hardcore a little bit and mm-hmm. didn't didn't know when the roots were, you know, when the when the the seeds were sprouting, man, mm-hmm. like all this really cool stuff was happening. So that period yeah. of time where the paradox was in the U district before mm-hmm. it moved down to Ballard and became <laughs> Mars Hill. Yeah. Which is a really hilarious. Oh, wow. Like how did that happen? <laughs> Wasn't like Wally like involved with the the church there originally or something? Like he booked the shows, but like yeah, but they got they went way left field. But yep. yeah, the old spot was awesome. Like, well, and the the, the theater the, they were having church at that theater mm-hmm. in the U district, and the yeah. the thing was always there's no crossover. It's just a space that's available. Yeah. There's not going to be any proselytizing. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be any trying to make yeah. these punk rock shows a church event. Yeah, and then once it once they actually got that shiny new building yeah. down in Ballard, it's like no different. no no, it's it's still going to be exactly the same. But then there was this point. <laughs> Like a year later, where mm-hmm. someone someone was at a meeting, I feel like it was Ryan Flaherty told me that someone told me that they were at a meeting, and the person said, "What are we getting out of this?" Mm. I was like, uh, "It's over. Yeah, it's yeah. it's all it was instant." Gonna... But there were some fun shows there too. Even like we had there our were. promises kept record release show. Mm-hmm. I mean, Stay Gold's last show was there. And um, this was at the at Mars Hill the, Church in Ballard, yeah. but they were not Mars Hill events. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were just like using a space. The what's that was it available. called? Uh, Oh, what is that band that Maxi Mike and Neil of Steel were in that was like fireworks and eggs and uh, toilet a- paper? A- Abraham Lincoln Killing Machine. Yes. By the way, that's one of the last excursion releases. Was it? Yeah. That was one of the last uh, shows at Mars Hill, too, <laughs> coincidentally. So, um, also, that show is responsible for Trial coming back. Yeah, pretty much. Because they had Greg Bennick get up mm-hmm. in costume as Abraham Lincoln uh-huh. and read... Uh, his declaration of yeah. whatever uh, uh, emancipation proclamation <laughs> and but it was some hardcore thing mm-hmm. and I was standing right next to Maja Kid Matt Weltner yeah. from The Answer and he's other bands but uh, he's, we're standing there and they hadn't told Greg that Tim mm-hmm. was going to get on stage mm-hmm. and play they were going to do one cover mm-hmm. and so Greg wasn't into you were at the show you yeah. know what I'm talking yeah, yeah. about but I'm just describing it for everybody else mm-hmm. if you're into trial um, so Greg gets done with what he thinks is going to be his whole, mm-hmm. his sole purpose there. And then they just, as a band, start playing the song. And he goes nuts and everyone went crazy. Mm-hmm. And Matt just uh, took his glasses off and dropped them on the ground yeah. and ran. I had to pick them up. <laughs> I'm like, wow, he was willing to just like lose a pair of glasses to Dude, go up front. <laughs> he would leave his gla- glasses everywhere okay like, that, that wasn't abnormal. No. Because I thought it was very funny that he was just like, goodbye. No. He. <laughs> Okay, I'm bridging from one story, which has a there's a bunch of funny stories from that show. But when Matt was booking shows at the West Seattle Legion Hall, and he would leave his glass, he would leave his glasses like on the merch table, uh-huh. but like not like off in the corner. Like the merch tables would kind of come out and form a peninsula where you would have to go by where his glasses were to get to like the pit area. Yeah, and we just leave them on the end of the table. And so I was like, I always thought it was weird that you would just leave them like not even kind of tucked away, like just on the edge of the table. So I would take them and I would hide them. <laughs> and then I would watch as he like <laughs> half blind, like feeling around, like trying, he would come up to the table and put his hands on the table and like feel around. <laughs> 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 but the, <laughs> the, the best story of this was, uh, I don't, it was, it must've been around Christmas or something. Cause I had wrapping paper in my car and he took his glasses off and his band, um, I don't know if it was the answer or no return. One of those two bands was playing and, uh, it was probably the answer. Was this uh, West Seattle? Yeah. 
could have been Vanguard. Mm, he was singing. Okay. So I want to say he was singing. Maybe he wasn't. But anyways, it was his birthday. And so I took his glasses. I went out to my car and I put them in a box and I wrapped them up. <laughs> and he's playing a show. And I come in and he's giving a speech in, in the middle between a song. And I come up to him and I give him this box. I like interrupt <laughs> his speech and give him this present. <laughs> and he's like, oh, my friend Chris just gave me a present. And he's so excited. And he starts opening it up and he looks inside and he just has like the ultimate look of disappointment on his face. Just like. <sighs> and then I think he just said, my friend Chris is an asshole. <laughs> and then they went into the next one. My glasses. <laughs> All right, so that is that. That's getting a little. I I do think that's ahead of of where we were at. Mm-hmm. You okay? I remember distinctly you leaving to go out with good, clean fun. Mm-hmm. Did you play? Yeah, I so I filled in on uh on guitar for them. Um, I don't remember how it happened. Like I don't. We were talking to Mike. I think about putting out our record, or maybe we wanted him to put out our record, and then after we went on tour then he kind of felt obligated to or something. I don't know. But, um, so yeah, I filled in on guitar for him. Um, I wasn't vegan. Um, still not vegan, still not vegetarian, never was. Um, so we're on tour. We play like the first show in Bellingham and I get, I don't even know, like a burger or something. And like Issa looks at me and he's like, did you, are you eating a burger? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you know, we're a vegan band, right? And I'm just like, what? No, no one told me you're a vegan man. But I just thought we, you were a straight edge band. Well, no, he's like, but we have songs about it. And I was like, you have songs about a lot of things that are like, you know, like, how am I supposed to know that veganism and straight edge, like, you actually are those things. Oh, by the way, the the drummer and other guitar player that were filling on that tour were not straight edge. So I don't know what the <laughs> veganism thing was an issue. But So I was like, well, I'll eat vegan on the tour, you know. Just to like kind of oh, so you went vegan friends. for the tour, yeah, as a as a as a support for the band, yeah, just kind of like I don't know. Uh, okay, let me ask: Were mm-hmm. the two non-straight edge people straight edge for the tour? No. Well, I mean, maybe I th- I feel like one of the dudes smoked, but uh, <laughs> that's kind of hard to stop. Yeah, I think people are. It took me so long to buy food because <laughs> uh, imagine like a non-vegan <laughs> dude on tour, like. Oh, let's see. I'm at a gas station. What should I eat? Let's see. Is this vegan? Um, crab milk. Uh, <laughs> what were you just getting? This? Like, like I don't even remember. But like <laughs> vegetable plates. It would take me so long. I just to go in and have to. Like I was always the last person in the van, and they probably were like, "What is? What is he doing in there?" But so wait. So they were basically saying you can't stay on the tour unless you. No, they didn't say that. But I kind of like I don't know. I kind of felt like if that was something that they were gonna like. That they stood for, that I would like respect that kind of. So we had we Champion actually had our second demo, yeah, our first decent demo, <laughs> and uh, and I brought a bunch of those on tour and like sold them all and um, met some really cool people, played some awesome shows. Um, I think yeah, I exchanged demos with like the dude, the drummer from the first step. So like that was like the connection I made there. Um, you know, saw Carry On, American Nightmare, some awesome bands on that tour. It was a lot of fun. Right. So. And that those are connections that lead to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So Champion and Stay Gold are playing these shows. Stay Gold only went so far and it kind of died out. And then mm-hmm. Champion, you guys just took the ball and ran with it. Mm-hmm. And you, ha- you ended up with Tim from Trial in the Band, mm-hmm. which must have been a real trip. Yeah. Well, 
So at this point, we were, trial was kind of broken up. We still didn't really know what we were doing. And Tim probably was just like, oh, these guys are nice. I don't have anything better to do. And so that was like a real turning point for us because like he would kind of show us things like, oh, well, you should practice your picking. Like you and I should get in a room and sit down and make sure we're doing the exact same picking. Like stuff like that, that like I think really like exponentially advanced like where the band was. Right. Um, Tighten stuff up. Yeah. I think he probably like helped Jim kind of like work on some lyrics too. Like, well, you know, they would sit down and Jim would have his lyrics and then, you know, he'd be like, well, what about this? You know, and like piecing, helping piece things together. I think, uh, then it becomes a real collaborative songwriting effort, which is, yeah. And, and the drums was another thing too. You know, he would be like, Hey, we're doing this. So instead of doing this up here, why don't you go down to the floor, Tom, you know, like stuff like that, that we didn't even know. It was just like, Oh, he's keeping a beat. Isn't that what drummers do? You know? Um, so yeah, I think that like really helped us kind of like, I guess, step up, um, you know, at least like the baseline. So, and then a Ram came along Mm -hmm. and joined the band. Yeah. And he was playing bass first cause, uh, Ben quit for the, I don't know. First time. Maybe Ben was in the band three times (laughs) as was Nick Platter. Both were the in champion the most amount of times, right? Um, but see, uh, the funny thing is that most people that aren't from the Northwest think of champion as kind of being a core group of people, mm-hmm. but it was a real revolving door up here, wasn't it? It was, but I mean, once we had that core group of people, that's when we were able to like once every it's so hard to find like five dudes that are on the same page, like musically, you know, socially, uh you know like and straight edge and uh, straight edge was very important for that band yeah it was and we there were times where we probably there was a time where we probably didn't have a drummer for like maybe almost a year so we didn't do anything we would just go to tim's house we'd sit in his tiny little room and like work on practicing picking and like write songs but like we didn't have a drummer and that's when we magically met todd one night (laughs) that was a good that was a good connection yeah he's fantastic drummer todd was in the band twice Todd was in the band twice yeah. and straight edge. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. So a Ram gets in the band. There's, there's some kind of what's all, it's not the final lineup change, but it seemed mm-hmm. to be a big rotation is when mm-hmm. Tim left the band Yeah, and a Ram moved to guitar. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know, you guys just really took off. Yeah. We had, we still had, a, you were already moving that way. Mm-hmm. We still had, uh, we still had a pretty revolving cast at bass. Like at one point, like Pettibone was going to play bass for us. I don't know if he knew that or not, but that's awesome. he did not have one single practice with us, but we did as cheesy as this is. We did a photo shoot for hardcore Inc. The hardcore tattoo magazine. This is the same. I remember the hardcore Inc. thing, yeah. but yeah. you are the band that went and took fake photos and had to draw in yeah. the bass yeah. chord. Yeah. So now you've yeah. got Pettibone in the band and yeah. he's never practiced with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. We never Perfectly. let, we never let thing, you know, things like that get in our way. No. And you stayed a band for a year without a drummer getting yeah. together and practicing, writing songs, but not mm-hmm. being able to play them. I mean, that's like, there's yeah. a will there at mm-hmm. work. It was hard too. Cause we could have found a drummer that wasn't straight edge and, that's just not something that we wanted to do, you know? So it was, it was definitely tough though. Like, I don't know. So yeah, Pettibone was in this picture and had tattoos in the, this, I, he probably had the most tattoos in the band too. Cause like this was before Ram had like sleeves. So he had like scattered tattoos and sure. Jim probably had like three or four. I had none. 
uh, I think Ben was in the band. No, Ben wasn't because Padmon would have been playing bass. So right. Todd had a few. Um, I don't know why they wanted us in there. We didn't have any good. No one in the band had a good tattoo probably, but <laughs> at that point. Um, but yeah, so he was in the band, but then he never came to practice. And so he just became the dude in the picture that looks like Davey Havoc that now was this <laughs> wasn't the, actually in the band. Was that after the last time Ben quit? Because, I, okay, so mm-hmm. you took... I don't think so. You took me and mm-hmm. you took Adam Pacey mm-hmm. with you on tour in 2003 mm-hmm. in the summer. Yeah. We went out for like two and a half weeks or something like mm-hmm. that. And it was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just awesome. You guys took me, brought me along. We went, played Posse cool. Numbers, played Hellfest, mm-hmm. um, ended up doing merch for you guys. And it was, oh my God, Hellfest merch is one of the hardest things oh, I've ever done yeah. in my life. It's it was appropriately named. It was hell. And, well, and also like... Stuff had been delivered, shirts and hoodies and things had mm-hmm. been delivered, and it, Hellfest was so big that there were like everyone had like a, a table space that yeah. was like mapped out, mm-hmm. and we got there and it was all just stacked up underneath. Yeah. And I remember we got there and people were just already lined up to buy your stuff, <laughs> and it was a total merch machine except yeah. we didn't know sizes, what yeah. boxes they were in. So I spent that whole, I spent all of Hellfest just digging in boxes wow. like with no and there was no place to stand yeah it was like kind of half standing on a box with kids Jeez. getting all pissed off why is it taking so long yeah that was a great trip though it was fun we uh we ended up something happened to the van mm-hmm. and we ended up going out in most precious blood's mm-hmm. van yeah which was awesome so that cool it then. was able like, to just well that's that's hardcore right i mean mm-hmm. you get you go all the way across the country your van breaks and another band who were they in europe I think so, maybe. And yeah. they and and Tim, their roadie, mm-hmm. was there, and he said, uh, "Hey, I'll call those guys and see if it's cool." And those dudes yeah. were just like, "Oh yeah, that band from Champ, that, yeah. from Seattle, Champion, yeah, just take our van." Uh-huh. Yeah, we played with them a couple times, and uh, you know, they were one of those bands that there's always bands that you don't really think you would hit it off with, just based on like how different their sound is than yours, and then you do, and it's just like, whoa, like we're best friends, and like. I think we played like two shows with them and we were like awesome friends already and um we still weren't that close but we knew that we really liked each other and then that's when that happened and like we were definitely not close enough friends that they should have let us borrow their van like it was it was very cool it totally saved the day yeah it was super cool um yeah that was a, that was a very cool tour and that was it was nice to be able that was almost 10 years it was it was it was 10 years after going out doing the country with undertow. Mm-hmm. And one thing that was really surprising was we spent quite a bit of time in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when I was with undertow 10 years before we had, so seeing New York 10 years later and how different it was, oh, yeah, I'm it sure. was so much more cleaned up. Yeah. Definitely kind of a trip. Yeah. That was fun. It was a lot of fun, but you guys were, that was also, um, it was, that was before the LP. I think the second, this, the the bridge nine record had just come out. So that's not that's right. I feel like something came out at Hellfest. Maybe like maybe we got something at Hellfest. Maybe the LP. Does that sound right? Because I remember we were sitting next to I think it was like Hawthorne Heights or someone that became huge, and we got our rec- first record the same day that we got. They um, got theirs. I, I wasn't I wasn't there. It, it was okay. the LP was like a year after. Okay. Was this? Were you at the Hellfest in the bubble or the outside one? Outside, I think. Oh, okay. We were in a tent. It was covered, but yeah. it was... I thought it was covered, the, yeah. the merch tent we were in. But So it must have been the next year that Promises Kept came out, and we got... Well, I can tell you, I can tell you that the Posse Numbers press of the second 7-inch that had the black cover with, like, the eagle tattoo design, mm-hmm. 
that was what came out okay on that we got about positive yeah. numbers, right yeah okay so the lp so i think is still a year before. away mm-hmm. but man i i have really really good video footage mm-hmm. taken uh, adam pacey was filming it no no i filmed it Pacey mm-hmm. was in the crowd. Pacey was losing his mind. Was he? And it's, remember the, the crowd was just hitting you guys almost like a wave. Now, this mm-hmm. is going to be the Damien thing. Damien was talking about how he would talk about how crazy uh-huh. undertow shows were uh-huh. and then see, a, a, like, try to show his friend, like, yeah. video and, be, and and they'd be like, what? That's not, <laughs> that doesn't look that exciting. Uh-huh. So in my mind, I'm desperately clinging to the edge of the yeah. stage filming as waves of kids are, like, smashing yeah. against you guys. But remember, it was pretty crazy. That was probably the craziest show we've ever played. Like, okay, so yeah. I'm I have I'm gonna try to uh, digitize that footage. I'll try to get it up on YouTube. The so video can, footage uh, looks crazy too, if I can uh, remember it cool. correctly. I think um I think my camera shut down because of like <laughs> because of like just sweat and steam and uh-huh. stuff. At one point, it was just like <laughs> it was shut off. It was hot. It was nuts. Do we? Sorry, go ahead. No, I just remember looking over a bank. I just looking at everybody and everybody was having a good time. And it was, you guys were riding that line between this is amazing uh-huh. and we're going to die. Uh-huh. Like our stuff is going to get broken. Yeah. Like there, I, there were definitely times that people were diving off my amp over me onto the crowd. If I remember correctly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it was like, that's hardcore to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. That is hardcore. That's what you shoot for. You mm-hmm. go years in between waiting for that show where mm-hmm. you can see everybody lose their minds. Okay. And so I always get like, I realize guitars are expensive. Mm-hmm. Amps are expensive. Whenever I see someone get upset because someone bumped into yeah. them, I'm like, why are you doing this? That's so lame. What do you, wh- come on. Yeah. So I, I've, I've seen some guitars throw fits at mm-hmm. hardcore shows and it's like wrong. Well, yeah. you're in the totally. wrong place. Totally. Cause the best thing that would happen is if this crowd went 10 times as crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude, if you remember the first day we got, they, we got to Posse Numbers the day before and they had these PAs set up on the side of the stage and kids were diving off them, constantly diving. And we were just watching it going like, dude, I can't play tomorrow. Like kids are going to be flying off these things. And so we come out the next day and both of the PAs are moved to the back of the stage and we're just so bummed because the stage is like not even knee high. It was like maybe a foot off the ground. Right. And like we were really psyched about just insane stage dives. That's what we wanted. And like the PAs were moved to the back and we were just like, this sucks. There's not going to be any stage dives. <laughs> so our solution to this was we were, um, either this tour or before we were on tour with death threat and, uh, no death threat was with us. Yeah. And so we asked, uh, Steve it was death threat terror and champion. Oh yeah. So yeah, we asked Steve from death threat. We're like, Hey, uh, this is kind of a quite crazy question because he had his base cabinet was the kind, not the one piece. It was the two piece. Mm-hmm. So like two half stacks. And we we're like, can we borrow your base cab, but not to play? Can we just put one half on each side of the stage on the front so that kids can dive off of it? <laughs> and we asked him thinking like, there's no way this dude's going to let us like just use his cabinets as stage launching dive boards. launching pads. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, totally go ahead. <laughs> and yeah, it just helped, I think. Oh, that's fantastic. So if you see the video, you can see kids kind of like, there wasn't enough room to like run and jump off it, but you could see kids get up on it and kind of like roll over onto the crowd. That's, I think, why I had the idea that it was a wave because people were trying to kind of get onto the stage, but there was no room on the stage. Mm-hmm. And then the crowd would push forward. And then everyone that was like trying to stand and sing along or jump back off this one foot stage would get uh-huh. pushed into you. Yeah. And it was like, it just, it all had to like, you know, the, the key was keep, keep everybody off the drums if mm-hmm. possible right mm-hmm. yeah and then there was one point where todd dove off of the drums into the crowd 
in the middle of the song. That's right. He jumped over his drum set in yeah. the crowd. That's yeah. hey, if you're listening to this, if you know about hardcore, then you understood what we what we just said. If you don't know, if you don't listen to music where people get so excited that the drummer will abandon the drums by jumping over them into the sea of the crowd cuz that's how cool it is right at the moment, you just haven't lived. Uh-huh. That's why we love hardcore. Yeah. It was funny too because I think we all saw Todd and Todd had nice like drums so I th- we all kind of saw him like dive like Superman style <laughs> and we thought like is he maybe going after some kid because kids were like <laughs> jumping off his base his base so we kind of were like this is awesome but we're also kind of like is wait is Todd trying to like kill someone right now because they dove <laughs> off his base this could be excitement <laughs> or it could be murder no <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that was no that was a really good time you know I've had I've been lucky to have bands take me out and and let me see stuff like that on the road. It's just really fantastic, mm-hmm. and I really appreciated that you guys did that. And the other thing that's cool is I saw I really felt like I mean you guys were just upping the game constantly. Things mm-hmm. were getting better and better, and it had already been happening in Seattle. But there were still people here that hadn't seen you for a couple of years. Got mm-hmm. older guys that don't get out to as many mm-hmm. shows, and they'd be like, "Oh, champions!" And they'd be like, "Champion," because <laughs> they're remembering the demo or they're uh-huh. remembering yeah. you know iteration five back or whatever so i'd be like oh no 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 you got to see it that's you know but after that it was like it it felt like if i was gonna go see a championship i was gonna see a spectacle every time Mm. and you guys were also known for being kind of lunatics Mm -hmm. (laughs) who is it is there one person in the band that was responsible for all of the champion like the things like the the road games and the oh the songs and um no, is I think it we you? just kind of like fed off each other. Okay, so if you're the one that yeah. says no, then it's probably you're the main instigator. Um, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I think it was just kind of like we all were. I mean, you. The more you drive long drives and don't have anything to do, the more stupid things you're gonna do to like occupy time. Like, did, there's a video on YouTube of the band Down to Nothing uh-huh. where they're they're videotaping themselves driving and they just start. They're listening to hate breed and they just start moshing in the van and they start ripping things apart. <laughs> and they're like, sacrifice something to the tour gods. And someone will take like their hat and rip it in half or take like the shirt they're wearing and just rip it to shreds. And they're, it's insane. Like that's the kind of stuff that you do when you're bored on tour. Like, you guys, every band has games. But you guys created a real game, a game that was really something. <laughs> Classic combinations. Ah, that's a good one. Do you, do you want to explain classic combinations? Oh boy. Um, how Man, much who, time do we? Have? Who came up with not much? <laughs> who came up with classic combinations? Classic combinations is. Um, I want to say maybe I started kind of talking about it. It was in Germany. We were driving somewhere, and I think we just started talking about it, and then uh, we just started making up these rules of this game, and. Uh, it's probably it would take me like 15 minutes to explain all the rules if you go to i have a blog called uh seekers of the core.com if you go to that i actually have a blog post you have to scroll way down to the bottom but because it's one of the first ones i did but um it basically involves you beating each other um <laughs> and now there there's two sets of numbers well is you, that what happens you pick numbers all right so let me let me try to explain it without going into too much detail. But basically, it, it's played in rounds, and there's one person that chooses uh, some combinations, and the combination would be like, 
Okay, Dave. My fist, your thigh. Okay. Or my open hand karate chop to your sternum. Okay. My foot to your shin. Okay. Um, the only things that were off limits was anything in the balls or uh, punching close fists in the face. Um, <laughs> and then you would play it in rounds and the, the chooser would pick one of those three combinations. And it wouldn't have to be... Oh, so you give us you give options. Yeah, there okay. would be three options and it wouldn't necessarily have to be the person that choosing. It could be like, Dave, my open hand fist to a ram's buttocks. Okay. You know, or... Um, one that happened once was uh, Justin, our old roadie from Florida. He said, open hand slap to Todd's face to back's hand slap to a ram's face. There's actually a video of this. Do you see a ram like fall out of the video? <laughs> it's pretty funny. Okay. But, so you have to pick one of these combinations. But the combination is only part of it. Mm -hmm. There's a power scale. So you have to pick a number between one and ten. But you don't know... Um, part of the game is there's also an impartial third party that an cannot, impartial third party. <laughs> all these people had names. Like the person that was, uh, actually inflicting the harm was the aggressor. <laughs> the, the aggressor. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember what the chooser was. It might've been just the chooser, but the impartial third party, the aggressor would whisper power scale 10 or power scale one right to the person and if they said 10 that would mean 10 is the hardest and one is the softest if they said power scale one that means one is the hardest and 10 is the softest so you could pick something and you wouldn't know if you were about to see one of your friends so when punch you... another friend as hard as they can or as soft as they can so wait so you were choosing the the combination mm -hmm. and then you also had to choose a power scale when... a number between one and ten yeah and you didn't know you would never know whether the scale meant 10 was hardest or 10 mm -hmm. was lightest. Yeah. And so the impartial third person would then tell. No, they wouldn't know. They, The impartial per, uh, third party would never say anything. Oh. They just were kind of to keep the aggressor honest. That was okay. That yeah. was to verify what was said ahead of time. Yeah. So the impartial third party could just nod, could just go. Mm -hmm. So yeah. if it was like, uh -huh. so if it was like, if the slap was power 10 uh -huh. and they chose 10. Mm -hmm. The impartial third party knows they're going to see something pretty interesting. <laughs> and, you know, you just try to keep a straight face. And everyone so just did it. Away. Huh? Um, Jim, I think, abstained from it. Oh, you could abstain? Jim um, is definitely the temper, uh, the person in the band with the temper. And so he probably rightfully so um, did not play the game. Didn't want to play because he could he would hold it against somebody. Or he would just punch him back or something. I don't know. <laughs> he, this was when he invented his fake... Uh, uh, dogma of pagan path pacifism. <laughs> he, what, 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 Jim had okay. Yeah. Tell me about. He would just say, "Oh, I can't play. I'm a pagan pacifist." <laughs> 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 Which, if you know Jim, he's definitely not a pacifist. Um, he's actually like one of the toughest dudes I know. But um, so yeah. The, no, the... I was told more than once that you were definitely the toughest guy in champion. Definitely not. Like if it was a real fight, the like, gym would destroy me. But I was told it's weird. I thought that didn't didn't everyone champion try to fight you once and you beat them all? <laughs> um, there were okay. So there were two nights. I where, think you're being modest. Yeah, maybe. But they, I think, what just what happened was I told them like, no, if you guys do this, I'm gonna really like punch you or really. So they would like come at me like half speed and I would come at them like full speed and just be like, well, I warned you <laughs> kind of thing. Um, there was definitely one where they came at me with uh, like 
and and I had a skateboard and I was like, if you come at me, I'm going to hit you with the skateboard. And <laughs> that's the story I heard. That's yeah. the story I heard. And they're like, he's not really going to do it. I was like, no, I'm dead serious. I will hit you with the skateboard. I hit a ram in the hip because he was the first one that came at me. And then John Aitclip, the dude that sang in Allegiance, <laughs> he came at me and I hit his hand and broke it. Oh, yeah. oh wow. So there's an Allegiance song where he, there's a line that says like, a broken hand and some damn good bands or something like that and <laughs> um, that's songs about that tour but i kind of felt bad but like at the same time i kind of like didn't you know like i felt bad that i broke it but i was like i you, you did you. what you said yeah and, and every, was... <laughs> everyone was like i can't believe you did that and carrie fiegel was just like he told you he was gonna do it like <laughs> you guys are stupid he told you so nice yeah. so well, that's that story okay so that you know one more thing though oh sorry yeah. Going back to classic combinations, I didn't want to spend a lot of time on it, but now that we have, <laughs> I have to complete this. I love classic combinations. There's politics involved with classic combinations because you play it in rounds. Okay. So if you, Dave Larson, say, hmm, I'm going to pick a kick to a ram's shin at a power level of 10, if he really gets kicked as hard, if someone kicks him as hard as he can, I know that eventually it's going to be a ram's turn to choose. Oh, right. Right, and you so, have to play. If you're in, you're in for the whole round. Yeah. So he could set me up for something. Yeah. So there were definitely politics involved. And if you really wanted to play it safe, you would pick something on yourself, like power level of five. But yeah, yeah it usually didn't happen. But I think the hardest thing, I slapped Todd in the face at an eight out of ten. And he had a hand mark on his face for a while. <laughs> and then the other thing was our driver in germany was this gigantic german man that they called dr pain because he just <laughs> is a human like freak of nature giant and uh he stomped at a ram on a ram's foot at like a power level of like seven out of ten and i was in the other room like checking the, my email and i felt like the reverberations in the room and a ram was like limping for a couple days <laughs> 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 I would think that wouldn't be the best game to play away from, like, you know, yeah. home where you could get medical help. Yeah, especially the Canadian <laughs> who uh, gets well, free health care. That's, that's a good point. <laughs> but we probably actually would be better off. And we Americans would probably be better off in Germany <laughs> getting hurt than here. Oh, well, that's I think that's very much true. Michael Ann, you know, she's a, she's a tour guide. She takes people to France. Mm -hmm. And she had a person over there who was very political and was this was a few years ago so it was right before a whole Obamacare mm -hmm. thing and everything and they were the one of the people was she, she has there's this story has actually been published at her works like blog so I'm not giving away any I'm not speaking out of class mm -hmm. whatever but um guy was you know she's given her overview telling people how everything works and the guy's making snide comments about <laughs> socialist country and all yeah. that. And she's, she's kind of correcting him a little bit, but he was a, a real like tea party kind of, mm -hmm, kind of mm -hmm. sort, you know? And that guy's wife had a heart attack on the tour mm -hmm. and ended up having to go to the hospital in France mm -hmm. for care in the middle of the night. And apparently he was completely floored at the level and quality of mm -hmm. care and all that stuff. Yeah. And then, couldn't believe like there was a bill uh -huh. right because they don't have insurance or anything right <laughs> yeah and couldn't believe how cheap it was yeah. and michael and was like saying like how much would that have been in america yeah and he was like oh i can't even you know it was the ambulance some... drive would have been more expensive yeah and i guess it was some manageable amount mm -hmm. and so he was like what do i do and she's like you pay him mm -hmm. <laughs> like because the thing the, the other thing about it is if they had just left and gone back to america mm -hmm. no it's not like there'd be yeah 
bill collection. French, yeah, French collection agency. But it's just kind of that, that that story. Yeah, when you because you bring up the band would be better off in Germany mm-hmm. if you'd gotten injured. That's true. Yeah. But it's also funny. There's also a little bit of whatever you. It's just it should be a lesson to everybody. If you complain really loud about something, <laughs> it's coming for you. Yeah, it's yeah, for sure like. It, it, I don't know why that is, but you know, it's like every anti-gay bigot in the country ends mm-hmm. up with Ashley Madison, uh... <laughs> or someone in the family or, comes out of the closet. It's yeah. just how it always works. Yeah, or they're forced out of the closet. Oh well, that's a whole different. That, I wasn't even meaning that side mm-hmm. of it, but yeah. Oh, it goes that 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 horrible hole goes deep. Yeah. <laughs> Ashley yeah. Madison. Oh, uh, this yeah this. In the months coming, that this story will probably make less sense. But yeah, right now the mm-hmm. uh, Ashley Madison hack just happened, and a whole bunch of people are getting called out for having yep. accounts on a website that was just for committing adultery. Mm-hmm. They say four hundred different pastors in America and Canada are going to Jeez. resign from their job on Sunday. Wow, because they all had accounts. Did you hear that story? I didn't. I heard two people allegedly commit suicide. Oh, yeah, which is a bummer. Come but, on, that's yeah. sorry to bring it. Sorry to bring it there. Well, just, I did hear which is this not, one's funny. Not, not oh, come on for telling me that. But yeah. Just oh, come on to everybody. Yeah. That's a little bit extreme to be caught up over. One, most of these people weren't even having sex. It mm-hmm. was more just like looking. They say that there were okay. There were five point five million mm-hmm. female accounts on Ashley yeah. Madison, and they said they think there were only actually twelve thousand active yeah. female ac- or users. legit ones. Yeah. Yeah. It was all just BS. It was a mm-hmm. bunch of guys talking to a bunch of guys, mm-hmm. which sums it up pretty well. <laughs> what were you going to say? Tell me the good story. No, that's what I was. I was actually going to say. The funny thing is that none of the women on the on the website are actually real women. Yeah. How do we get here? <laughs> Dude, you could ask that question all the time on this podcast. <laughs> um, all right. So getting past champion mm-hmm. you're still you're still playing mm-hmm. you're still straight edge i am i imagine chris if i ever heard that you weren't straight edge i would be absolutely shocked i would too i, I can't <laughs> what it, it it's it, there are a few people that are just total i can't even you know mm-hmm. inconceivable yeah. so i that just kind of goes without saying um but you're still playing music mm-hmm. you're you're singing in dead weight yep you guys i saw you guys at rainfest mm-hmm. um I didn't know you have a uh, a different. I hadn't seen really that side of you before. <laughs> I think people might be surprised. Yeah. Like, had you had you? <laughs> I don't done know what that, that means, but <laughs> you just came off like tough. Oh. Okay. Like it was cool. it was it was very. I mean, you you have a an aggressive stage presence, mm-hmm. and you're a great frontman. I. Yeah. It wasn't like totally surprising. I expect mm-hmm. you to be good at what you do, mm-hmm. but I don't always expect it to be that good. Mm-hmm. So. Well, cool. Um, awesome. Yeah, people should definitely check out Deadweight. And you're also playing in The Crew? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So The Crew is a straight-edge band. Um, it's much more... Deadweight is more like New York City kind of crossover-influenced, maybe. Um, Chrome Eggs, like Sick of It All, Agnostic Front. Like, those are the bands that we're most inspired by. Um, the Crew is more like Champion, maybe a little bit harder-edged, like maybe like Carry On a little bit. Um and it's me, it's a straight edge band, and it's me, 38-year-old me, and a bunch of, like, 22-year-old kids, straight edge kids. Who, I, can, I can kind of relate to that. Yeah. Who are awesome. Like, it's such a fun band to be in, because, like, the dudes that are in that band are, like, so cool. Like, they're so down for hardcore. They're so, like, they get on stage, they want to jump around. Like, 
Are they writing the music or are you? Oh, we're all kind of writing stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So we just come in, someone has a song, we jam it out and yeah, it's fun. And you were so. in, what other stuff are you doing? Um, let's see. Before that, I played bass for Gone But Not Forgotten for like right. two shows. Um, let's see. The Vows, which was me and Aram and then Pettibone and Murphy from Undertow and then Rob Moran from Unbroken. Uh, they record, <laughs> they recorded like a demo that eventually became a seven inch. It's kind of funny because they recorded these songs and, uh, I guess Pettibone was supposed to sing and like, I don't know, flaked out or couldn't come to record the day they were recording. So they called me like I was on my way to go eat pizza with uh, the down to nothing dudes at Picorus. And, and they were like, Hey, uh, Pettibone's supposed to sing this band, but he's not, he's like flaking out. Do you want to come sing? And I thought about it. I was like, that'd be awesome to sing in that band. But like, I really want pizza right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I turned them down for pizza and hangouts with my friends, obviously. But, um, and then they asked me to, after they recorded, they asked me to play like second guitar. And so we played maybe like five or six shows. Um, and it was fun. It was a fun band to be in. Cause like, like those dudes, they don't care about anything. They're just like, they're awesome. Like Pettibone, Moran, like Murphy and Rand. Yes. It's cool. Like, they're like, what should we cover? Well, it's just, it's, it's so perfect to me because mm-hmm. I, I meet Rob Moran going on tour as a roadie with mm-hmm. Undertow in the early 90s mm-hmm. and then you know and, and murph and john yeah. friends of mine from way back and then i've got you and ram from champion later on and then they're why don't why don't you all form a band <laughs> sure bring it all together yeah it's fun um unfortunately i feel like the best songs that we wrote in that band never got recorded like the the seven inch is cool but i feel like it might have been kind of rushed a little bit and, and like, you can't see a, a situation where you guys would get together and record those songs i don't remember that, anything about the songs now except for they were really cool <laughs> <laughs> but that's a great starting place for yeah, another record yeah. i would love to play a song with them or a show with those dudes again like i was kind of trying to get it to happen around the undertow reunion but i think those dudes were a little bit preoccupied oh with, there was a lot going on there yeah with reunioning <laughs> but um let's see i played in a band called poverty Bay saints oh that's right um it was a little bit more kind of like street punk kind of oi influenced maybe like somewhere between uh like Slapshot and with more like bluesy like solos and stuff like that our guitar player not me the other one was really good at writing like bluesy stuff and so he would write like six solos that are like they sound like like rancid solos or something like social distortion solos um can you, you can't play like that no 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 no. i i always tell people that i'm not a musician i'm more of just a performer <laughs> like give me like a guitar i'll learn like the bare minimum i'll play it on stage and i'll jump around and you know has that been hard for you in the studio? No, no. I mean, I, I can, I, I have like decent rhythm so I can like strum, you know, I can, but I never learned how to like play solos or anything. It's like power chords. And, and I think like playing with Tim really got me like my picking a lot better, obviously. Um, Cause I mean, if you heard t- trial, like that's all it is, is like speed picking like riffs and stuff. So, yeah. well, what's, uh, what's lined up for the future, man? Um, as far as hardcore or anything. Um, uh, well, well, look, we're talking about yeah. hardcore cause we know each other from hardcore. Yeah. But, um, anything else that you got going on? I mean, mm-hmm. what's, what's, what's your life? Yeah. So dead weight right now is record or writing an LP. We have enough songs to record, but I think we need to tighten down the screws a little bit. Um, the LP is going to be, I don't know if this has been announced yet. So I may be 
pulling pulling the curtain back, but it's going to be the Pit Vision LP. <laughs> Wait, that's the name of the... Okay, so yeah. I was told that the way you came up with the idea of calling the band Dead Weight mm-hmm. was you put a whole bunch of asinine <laughs> names in a hat uh-huh. and drew a name. And what were some of the other names of the band? Yeah, so that is close. Um, <laughs> we came up with the name Dead Weight, which we thought was cool, but we knew it was like... If, like there's a million bands in the world called dead weight like literally anytime like someone new hears our band they're like from out of town there's oh there's a dead weight in our, in our town right they suck but <laughs> <laughs> but there's a band called dead weight um so it, i mean it was one of those bands so you either have to pick a band name that like no one has or mm-hmm. one that like everyone has so not one person has claim over it right. but we we never really liked the name because we wanted to have something that wasn't so generic um, so our idea for coming up with band names is we thought of like the hardest words we could think of and we put them in a hat. This is, so what were some of the combinations? This was not 100% serious, but you know, if we would have came across something cool, right. um, let's see. Alley nails was one of the Alley nails. <laughs> Paul told me about that one. Alley nails, nails. is actually like someone, the is there a band called Alley nails? Um, no. There, there could be now. Will be. Oh, there will be a band called Alley Nails? Yeah, they may be, you know, like from overseas or something, but um, <laughs> <laughs> there may be... Oh, no. you imagine that name being said with an accent. No, 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 no. Just with a Z. Oh. Maybe like a New York accent. I don't know. Alley Nails. Okay. Yeah. Um, SS Cold. <laughs> <laughs> wow. There were a lot of, like, funny ones, too, because, like, you know, people can't be serious with stuff like this. So, like, I think, like, Kitten Burger was probably something that came out. Like, Oh, yeah, that's... <laughs> that's I think it's a couple decades too late for Kitten Burger. Uh, um, oh, so your your name of your I LP... Pit Vision might have been one of the words that came out or something. Pit, but... that's like, let's just hold that aside for the, the LP title. No, we actually thought about changing our name to Pit Vision for a second. Um, but we couldn't really take it too seriously, but then we always would like play live and talk about the pit vision. And like, (laughs) I think the more the champion was like this too. Like when we came up with the name, someone like looked at their socks and was like, what about champion? Like looking at their champion socks and we all laughed. (laughs) Yeah. Right. We're not going to name our champion. That's stupid. And like your name got me in trouble in a grocery store once. Really? Yeah. Why's that? So I'm wearing this shirt. It just says champion. It's got two little like screen printed drops of blood on mm-hmm. the words. This is a great shirt. Yeah. And I'm with Bill Baker. That's a mistake. It, <laughs> it Don't say something to me when I'm with Bill Baker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this old lady is in front of us in line, right? When she turns, I'm talking to Bill. I'm not paying attention to her. We're getting groceries. She turns around and she goes, well, I think that's just awful. I don't think that's funny at all. And I, I kind of <laughs> look at her. And I realized she's looking right at me. And I look at Bill, I'm like, she's talking to me? She's like, I I don't know why you think that. If you had been around spinal injuries the way I had, you wouldn't think that was funny. Hmm. And I'm like, are you talking about my shirt? <laughs> and she's like, says something else. And I'm like, I, I don't think my shirt is funny. And then Bill's like, he puts his finger up. He goes, you turn around and mind your own business. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, Bill's going to be a senior citizen. Lady. Like, he was so, and he was just like, and, and she literally just went, and like turned around and minded her own business. <laughs> like, oh, Bill, we don't have to threaten the elderly. Like, But I didn't, it took me a minute to even understand that she was offended because yeah. you guys had screen printed blood spots. And I wouldn't think that was funny. So, of course. I would only be wearing something like that if I thought it was humorous. So the old lady saw a champion shirt How and dare thought, you. 
Yeah. I don't know what's worse, that woman or Bill. <laughs> yeah, definitely the latter. <laughs> Luckily, you weren't wearing, like, an internal fair shirt or, like... <laughs> Bill is... Yeah, Bill, Bill will engage with people. I, one time, uh, some guy was mad in traffic, and we were driving, and uh, he was ahead of us. He was one car ahead of us, and I think he had he didn't like something Bill was driving, or, <laughs> or I was driving. I don't even remember who was driving, but he didn't like something that had happened. So we pulled up to this light, and the dude gets out of his car and starts walking back towards our car. And he's just like a middle-aged like businessman kind of guy or something, right? Not not like, But still, raging enough to want to get out and walk mm-hmm. back at us. And Bill leans over and goes, you go get the fuck back in your car. <laughs> and the dude just went, whoop, turned right back around and got in his car. Like, I think... <laughs> He can he can just deliver this uh-huh. this angry seething thing because I mean what's he gonna do like mm-hmm. Bill's gonna step up yeah. when he gets to the car like yeah. all right buddy you asked for it <laughs> but okay uh, back to what you were saying pit vision <laughs> yeah I mean whatever oh you were saying Champion's name was originally a joke yeah and but the more we joked about it the more it kind of like sounded cool so eventually Same with pit vision. eventually you have to commit but mm-hmm. I like it so the deadweight LP will be called Pit Vision mm-hmm. how many songs. Mm, I don't know, 10, 12, something like that. 10 or 12 songs. Yeah. Do you already have a label? Uh, yes. Were we allowed to say or not? Um, I th- I think so. Uh, so we're going to do it with React. Nice. But another label is also going to um gonna help out. Cool. So it'll be a split label. And maybe I shouldn't say what label that is yet. That's fine. It's not a big label. It's not anything anyone's ever heard of, but I don't want to ruin the surprise. In October, you may be hearing about some things. Very cool. Related to this label. Awesome. And, you know, what do you do with yourself when you're not doing awesome hardcore stuff? Mm-hmm. So I, let's see, I hang out mostly with my fiance, Avery, um, and our dog, Compton. Uh, we watch a lot of TV. <laughs> um, let's see. Don't you do, play baseball? A little bit. Like in the summer, we play some baseball, just a bunch of hardcore kids get together. Um, it's a lot of fun. We had a game a couple weeks ago that was pretty cool. Um, during seafair so there were like blue angels flying over us while we were playing we had our own personal like flyover very american <laughs> yeah it was great um let's see been doing a little bit of backpacking recently um jim and i and todd from champion as well as some other dudes like core dudes went uh on a trip recently that was a lot of fun um i love that you guys are that you guys are tight like that yeah i feel like you guys got tighter almost after the band ended maybe i mean we were always really tight uh, when the band happened, I think we, um, I mean, just like any band, there's always headbutting, but I think, um, I think one thing that Aram really brought to the band was like, you know, his counseling abilities. <laughs> so like we, he would sit us down and be like, yeah, in between headbutting. Yeah. It, we, and <laughs> there was some, heads with the best of them. <laughs> oh, and there was some gnarly fights that we got in, but like it, at the end of the fight, it was always like, we were in a better relationship before the fight happened. Like there would be times where we'd be on tour and we would literally say like, okay, we need to have a band meeting right now. All the roadies, sorry, but out of the van or like stay in the van. We're going to go around the corner and like talk. And we would just like, I imagine, I, I don't know if this happened while you were on tour I with us. I don't remember specific stuff. There were definitely times where we would probably leave the roadies in, in the van or somewhere for like an hour at least. <laughs> and they would probably be like, are they dead? Like, what's going on? Did they kill each other? Um, but you know, and, and it would always be super awkward. Like it would be like, I, you piss me off when you like screaming at times. And like, (laughs) but by the end of it, it was always like, we were even tighter. Like a band's like a a very, very complicated relationship out on tour with each other constantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a great learning experience. Like (laughs) 
Like there's nothing, like there's few things you can do in life that are like teach you about like interpersonal relationships better than being in a band and touring like 10 months out of the year with like minimal money, <laughs> um, minimal sleep. So you, uh, you just mentioned that you were the old guy in a band with a bunch of young people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's kind of like, I mean, I've, I've definitely been in that situation before mm-hmm. in terms of being around a lot of people in the hardcore scene being a lot younger yeah. and now it's even more so, although people leave less. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of old dudes. Yeah. And there's a lot of guys that probably would have would think they were the old dudes if it weren't for the fact that there's mm-hmm. still guys in their 40s hanging yeah. around. Um, so c- can you perceive of a time like when you say, up, ah, hanging up the guitar? Um, I don't know. You, you know, ever think about that? I mean, there's been times where I've wouldn't you know didn't play in a band for a while, and like after Champion broke up, I wasn't in a band. Well, <laughs> I should. There's a caveat. Me <laughs> immediately after we broke up, Jim. Todd and I and Paul from Sinking Ships started a band called Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I remember hearing about this. Yep. Like, so it was going to be like his dancing? No, it was going to be like Civ. Okay. So okay. Okay. We actually, I had a shirt idea. <laughs> that I, I had a shirt idea. It was going to say Jim real big on the front and on the back it was going to say I'm not perfect. I'm just Jim, <laughs> which is a girl of biscuits. Right. Line. I'm not perfect. I'm just Siv, which is so perfect if you know Jim and he just loved Jim, my best friend in the world, but he has a temper. Like he was once called a big ball of hate in my presence by his brother. <laughs> <laughs> that was super awkward. But, um, <laughs> Jim, you're just a big ball of hate. I think Danny was probably like 17 at the time, but Danny, who's like for sinking ships. Yeah. <laughs> Jim's brother. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we, we wrote like three songs and then nothing ever happened. But after that, like I wasn't playing in bands forever and it felt so good to not like, you know, not have to worry about going to practice, not have to worry about like band voting for t-shirts or like compromising on which tours to do. It felt awesome. Then why did you go back? It only felt good for a small amount of time. And then you start to like miss that itch of just like playing with dudes like creating something and like getting on stage and just like pounding it out it, it's it's an awesome feeling yeah um, so since we're talking about old dudes when you <laughs> look at really old dudes that still play music for a living like <laughs> the rolling stones yeah it begins to make sense <laughs> yeah like, well what else am i gonna do in my life yeah and those dudes probably have a lot more financial incentive than like some hardcore bands but wait a minute do they have <laughs> more financial incentive or less how many millions do you need Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Maybe yeah. they live a lifestyle that it, they'd be broke if they weren't yeah. still getting the money off the tour. But that's that's got to be. It's a very non-millionaire thing for you to say, Dave. <laughs> Good. <laughs> it is a very non-millionaire. You know what? I'm a person that believes that you can have enough. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. But so that's, that's not Okay. Favorite, I, so. Wait a minute. Doesn't that make my point better, though? Mm-hmm. Like doing that to yourself even when you clearly don't need the money, mm-hmm. there's gotta be something more. If it yeah. were, if it, if the Rolling Stones were four poor, uh-huh. like down on their luck, senior yeah. citizens that were going to lose the house if they didn't pay the back taxes. So mm-hmm. they got to go out on one more tour. The crazy heart. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Jeff Bridges. Yes. But that's, that's not what we're talking about. I think mm-hmm. there, I think it's just, there's nothing else to do. Yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I hope you continue to, to do what you've been doing for a long time to come. Me too. It's fun. I, you know, I wish I could do it more. It's just, it's, it's hard again, especially like Deadweight is such a fun band to play in. 
and like a fun group of dudes to be in but everyone has crazy schedules so it's like impossible to do stuff we play like three times a year probably oh yeah it gets harder and harder yeah imagine if you had does anyone in the band have kids um no it was funny mike was pointing out that we know so many people without kids i think it's this life does that yeah which would I mean at that, I think at that point it would just end the uh, the possibility of mm-hmm. doing the band. Yeah, maybe, maybe, or you could just bring the kid on tour like HDR. <laughs> well, so. <that's>, yeah, <laughs> and and basically instill in them what they're going to do for the rest of their life. Yeah, probably start a band with them. Uh, um, yeah, the crew's different though because it's like those. That, that's another cool thing about the crew is it's just like we could just do anything you know I'll, none of those dudes have any obligations except for the other bands that they're in that do more stuff so that's cool too what bands are you excited about in the northwest right now oh uh, there's a lot there's some cool there's bands. a bunch of stuff going on yeah. right now and it's it's been surprising yeah. I, I i played gloss yeah dude for so good for someone the other night and they just yeah mm-hmm. for for nate turpin who's been yeah. on the podcast yeah. and he was just like what where'd yeah. this come from you know dude i Maybe going out on a limb here, but that might be the best demo I've ever heard come out of the Northwest. Like gloss, it's so good. Yeah. Well, and it, and it just it does what what it's supposed to do. It just mm-hmm. like punches you in the face. Yeah. It's like oh, I haven't heard anything That's like this so since like Born Against or something. It's yeah. so so raw, so angry, so pissed off. Like it's great. And so, what does gloss stand for? Girls living outside society's shit. I think. Yes, yeah. that's what it is. They're from Olympia, mm-hmm. and everyone in the band is. Is it is it true? Everyone in the band is trans. I don't want. I even want to say it I, wrong. I don't think they're all trans, but I think like a a few of them are. There's. I think they call themselves like a trans slash queer slash. Uh, I don't. There's something else. Right, I so, I, I showed somebody video of them playing live. Mm-hmm. Someone who doesn't really like follow music, mm-hmm. and they were just like, "What the hell is going mm-hmm. on there?" And I'm like, "Pure awesome, yeah. like rage and just." Like, this is music that will scare people's parents. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it really will yeah. scare people. Yeah, it's great, so. dude. Um, So that's another band that I'm really psyched on. There's some bands from Olympia. Um, Odd Men Out is awesome. Straight Edge Band kind of has like an SSD vibe. Well, I guess they're going to have to change their name. <laughs> is that another? Steve Caballero was in. Oh, a, yeah, that's right. Was in Odd Man Out. Yeah. I there's have only the so many. No, I know. There's only so many ch- like words you can put together and make a new band. <laughs> I think but, after the band hasn't been around for coming up on thirty years, yeah. maybe you can be the next That's odd true. man out. Maybe they're like X odd man out X or something. Oh, or odd X- man out AD, like with the things that people do to put make their names a different name. <laughs> they could be odd man out UK, just just to do it. Hmm. Oli, <laughs> singled out. It's another good one. Red scare. Uh, keep it clear up in Canada. True identity are awesome. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of band, like really cool bands from the Northwest right now, and it's it's awesome. Wreck, Ill Intent. I think it's only going to keep getting crazier because uh, with what's going on down in Tacoma, mm-hmm. Real Arts opening up, they've mm-hmm. got together a uh, an all ages venue that's going to have all kind. I mean, it's not just going to be hardcore. It's, mm-hmm. They 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 really want to like cover the whole spectrum of music, yeah. but a space like that. Run by hardcore dudes. Yeah. There's definitely going to be a lot of hardcore There's there. going to be. It's going to be great. I think Deadweight's playing there soon. The third, I think. It's going to be a good Excellent. show. It's like Ill Intent, I think. Maybe Power or Rack. One of the kick... Like, is it the kickoff show? It's... It might be the first, like, hardcore show. I think they've had some shows, but I think it's, like, the first all-hardcore show, maybe. Nice. But, yeah. It'll be fun. Well, very cool, man. So, we're going to we're gonna basically close it up here. What else would you like to say what have we what did we not cover today that we should have i got one. Oh, go i 
will be your first pod, maybe your first podcast guest who never listened to DRI, never got into DRI. You're almost yeah. someone else. Someone else yeah. said that they did not. It might be Carl said mm. no, but you you also did not. Yeah. And considering that your friends were, you know, the skateboarder kids and stuff, mm-hmm. I would have thought that that would have happened. Yeah, you know, like like I said, like the skater kids at my school. They were not very cool. Like I actually hated them all. Like I almost, oh. I didn't really fight much in high school, but the one time that I almost got in a fight was like this dude, other skater kid that I wanted to fight so bad. Well, and like, cause they kind of became like bros, right? No, they were just kind of dicks. Like, you know, they listened to some rap. They listened to some alternative, some grunge stuff, but like they were just, were not very cool. Like I didn't feel like they were very, I think in high school, I more like to hang out with like, the dudes that would probably now be considered like goth dudes, you know, like right. the dudes in trench coats that listened to dead Kennedys. Like they were like way more punk rock in my opinion than like the skateboarders. Oh were. yeah. Like they had like trench coats and long hair and like listened to dead Kennedys and a couple of them had kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but see that's, that's, those were the same people. Like yeah. for me in high school, those were the skateboarders mm-hmm. also, or they were at least close enough mm-hmm. that, You'd be like, come on, dude, come skating. Like, I can't skateboard. Yeah, I have combat boots. I cannot skate. Yeah, you can. You can. Yeah. Come on. But they'd at least come hang out because I could smoke cloves mm-hmm. and watch you skate or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So I hung out with them at school, but I never really hung out with them outside of school. I mostly just, I don't know. I just kind of had random kids that I, like random friends that I kind of got into skateboarding. I had one friend, but he kind of moved away for a little bit. And then. And he might have been the guy that would have played DRI for you. Maybe. But you do, you're not a metal guy. Not really. I mean, you know, what's funny, like probably I've only just started getting into like Metallica and Pantera within like the last three years, probably. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, which is kind of crazy. I mean, if you think about it, but yeah, because it seems like most like guitarists and hardcore bands. Yeah. And it was close to like, I think I might have like, like I listened to a little Guns N' Roses, but like. I don't know. It wasn't as, uh, it was different. You know, it wasn't as like rage filled. It was more like rocking, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. Well, so where did you get, okay, here we go. This is what we'll end it with. Mm-hmm. People know you as Posse Chris. Mm-hmm. Why? Um, I think it was just cause of like, I think Jim probably like first started calling me Posse Chris. And, and, and that's because I was really getting into like, so a band that really like affected me in a big way was mouthpiece when they played at big John's. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the bands at that time were like, um, just more noisy, you know, like it seemed like everyone was really into dead guy and I liked dead guy, but like I more identified with like, you know, like straight edge, like, like fat, I more identified with fast stuff, you know? And so I made myself like, like the slower, heavy stuff, but like my real love was like the fast stuff. And like, when they came, like they played like the style of music that I wanted to play, and they played like I want to say they did like a Youth of Today cover and New Direction, I think, mm-hmm. and I think they did a Project X cover, and like that just blew my mind because people weren't really doing covers really like at that time. So like I saw this band do like covers of like bands that I worshipped, right? And I just like lost my mind. Before that, it was like kickboxing. You know, you'd go yeah. to shows and you would do your little arm windmills and stuff. And then when I saw that band and everyone was up front singing, like I don't remember much from that show, but I remember this feeling of like someone was grabbing my hoodie, like to get over the top and it was like choking me, but I was like so psyched. (laughs) I was like, I think I went to the show alone and like at big John's. 
Yeah. And I couldn't like stop thinking about it. Like, I don't know. It was awesome. So like those, the bands that I really got into after that were the bands that were from like New Jersey, like uh, Pennsylvania, like all those like young blood records bands. Mm-hmm. And so I was buying a bunch of those records and like, I think it just kind of came from that stuff. So, I mean, so. some dudes get stuck with stinky. Yeah. Some dudes get stuck with Posse. Yeah. Posse's way better. Not so bad. Posse Chris. <laughs> yeah. And then Neil would say Posse Chris is a dick. Mm-hmm. What's the hell about? I think we just always ended up hurting each other at shows. You know? And this is Neil who, uh, I'm not going to pronounce it right, even though I did sing on this, who currently does Ikari. Mm-hmm. And uh, who was singing in at the time? Contingent. Contingent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so they made a sticker that said Posse Chris. They is made a sticker dick. that said Posse Chris is a dick, which mm-hmm. I was, that was kind of funny. Yeah. No, but great. it was never any actual uh, malice, huh? No, no, we were close friends then. So I mean, it was like, I mean, we're still friends. So I don't mean to say it like that, but we were like he, he kind of started hanging out with like the whole like Five Crew like gang, you know. Um, when I say gang, I don't really mean gang. Although some people probably thought Five Crew was a gang. <laughs> Five Crew them, being the, all the people from, like you said, down south. Yeah. The Five Crew name is funny, actually, how that came about. Because I think a lot of people thought we were from Fife and not one single one of us was. Right. I think we were at a show at the Goat House. It might have been, I don't, I forget how to pronounce her name, but back then everyone knew her as Maddie. Yeah, I listened to your pod. Is it Matisse? Matisse. Matisse. Um, she was like walking. We were coming into the show, and I think she, it was her or someone. You know, some uh, some woman, some girl says, "Oh, Tacoma Cruise in the house," and Markley being <laughs> wow, I hear that in her voice. <laughs> yeah, and Markley being Markley, you know, like very no, actually, actually, we're from we're not from Tacoma. We're from Fife. <laughs> no, and she goes, "Where are you from?" And he's like, and he was from Federal Way. So he's like, South End Federal Way. And she's like, oh, sorry, Fife Crew is in the house. And she did it. Yeah. (laughs) And so we all thought it was funny. Like, so we just started joking around about it and it kind of stuck. Like we made like stickers. So you're telling me there's no Fife Crew member that was actually from Fife? No, not one. Although I think Jesse O'Donnell, who came around a little bit later, went to Fife High, (laughs) like later on. But Jesse O'Donnell, Tori O'Donnell, who we've mentioned earlier, his mm-hmm. brother, who and he was also in Love with Nothing and he's recorded tons of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, not one single person was from Fife, but oh no, it wasn't Fife crew, it was Fife Straight Edge. Tacoma Straight Edge is in the house. <laughs> oh, sorry, Fife Straight Edge. <laughs> but it, people said Fife Crew. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well it's I guess it's kind of cool. If no one can settle on a location, yeah. picking one that that relates to no one, yeah. and you can all claim it, that works. Yeah, and they were they were shows at the Java Jump and Fife, so that was mm-hmm. a place that people would go for shows sometimes. So, yes, seven yeah. seconds in knapsack. Yeah, I missed that one unfortunately, but it's legendary. <laughs> like everyone that was there, like that was like a a monumental show for them. It was a good one. All right, my friend. I think we're gonna close it down. So this cool. is your last chance. I'm sorry the you already you already pulled the DRI thing, which is cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's I guess we're getting a list now. I still it's still amazing how many people they did affect. But, one one other thing. Ah. Um. This is gonna sound cheesy too, but um, when I first started coming to shows, I didn't have any friends that were hardcore dudes, and you know back then the only way that you could learn about hardcore bands was by looking at the inserts of 
bands records that you would get and say oh that dude's wearing a snapcase shirt or whatever and then you would go buy a snapcase cd and then you'd open that and that dude's wearing a you know sick of it all shirt and yep um but one thing i did get was you had a zine i had a zine called excursion yeah and carrie whitney had a zine point furthest from the middle yes and those i read like probably cover to cover like infinite times like i would be driving on like my family would be driving on excursions i would be like looking at the same pictures of like i don't even know like integrity and donuts or something like (laughs) seared into my brain but yeah so that was a that was really a big part of uh getting me because i think when i found out about that balance of the world show it was probably because like there were names that I recognized from those zines. I don't even remember where I got the zines, but yeah, it might've been like, there were a couple of bigger shows that I went to like Civ, sick of it all or no Civ and uh quicksand and botch at the firehouse. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so some shows like that, that I would hear about in my, you know, little corner of Kent. <laughs> yeah. And I was, saw, uh, that, that zine you're talking about had a 10 seven record on it. Yes. Had a it. one-sided 1007 7-inch. Yeah. And I think I was selling it for a dollar. Does that yeah. sound right? I don't know, but <laughs> sounds right. It was a good song. I remember that. Go to Hell. That's <laughs> the name of the song. Um, very cool. So, well, awesome. That's That would have been before we knew each other, too. Mm-hmm. So, that's cool. There were some good zines in Seattle back then. Rust was another one that was awesome. Rust was a lot of fun. Derek Harn, who's mm-hmm. associated with the... With the uh, the website and with this podcast mm-hmm. he he did rust that was great I wrote, there were a lot of people i always wrote stupid crap for rust i remember you did something about greg bennick greg bennick being be, an alien being part of an alien conspiracy <laughs> yeah my <that's> good <laughs> jugglers and mimes the only reason i did the thing about greg bennick is because i had one of his headshot photos mm-hmm. and i had a picture of an alien and they were about the same size, uh-huh. but they had that lyric rip the mask of truth from uh-huh. the lies right or strip the mask of yeah truth. so i was like Oh, no, no, no. I can't. I got to put this alien yeah. head under his face and mm-hmm. write that underneath it. That was great. And then it's like, well, I need something to go with it. So I just wrote whatever bullshit. <laughs> it was awesome. Derek would be like, come I on, think... I need an article. Or something. I'm like, I don't have anything to write about. I think he said something about all mimes are aliens. Kill all mimes and jugglers. <laughs> <laughs> I def- yeah, it was it was a call to arms against an invasion. <laughs> That yeah, I was perceiving because there was awesome. I there was a there was a big blackout. There was a power outage that they hadn't been able to figure out. Mm-hmm. I think I used that as my story. Uh-huh. I don't know. I, it's dumb, but it's amazing that you know about that because yeah. I don't think most people remember that garbage. It was funny. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, thanks for coming out, man. Yeah. Uh, Any more? Because you might have another thing. No, probably until you hit stop, I'll probably remember a few things, but <laughs> such is life. That's yes. You can always uh, you can always send me a message with uh, you know some after the fact stuff uh-huh. I can put in the corrections section. But thank you for coming out, man. Yeah, thank, I, oh, thanks I for appreciate having it. Oh, you, you just bet. had the most awkward handshake attempt <sighs> since earlier this evening. <laughs> I will say, was it was it wait was was it awkward earlier this evening? Well, I didn't know your little snap thing that you were doing. So. I do I do it the handshake with a. a like a snap and a point at the end. Mm-hmm. That's I do. I've done that for a long time, but I'm gonna blame this. Is is uh, we have these um, these windscreens in front of the microphones, mm-hmm. and when I reached, I couldn't even see my hand. Yeah. So I actually was counting on you to just grab my hand. And uh, sorry to let you down. It's okay. You you'd never let me down, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to you later, man. Thanks. Bye. 
And so we have come to the end of another episode of I've Known You Too Long. I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to have these conversations and, I, and I'm going to record them and put them up regardless. But I just, you know, I hope that once you get to the end of, if you stay with us through the entire two plus hours, I hope you feel like, you know, it was a good use of your time. So yeah, let me see. I, I put some pretty cool stuff in the, on the blog page for this, or I will be putting some stuff up. Some of the things that Chris talked about, like that skate park uh, that was actually just like a private place in Auburn. I found a cool article about it, so go check that out. I said I was going to put up a picture of Torches to Rome at the Goat House. I did find one photo, so that's up. I talked about the Candy Crew photo, and we talked about the Candy Crew incident, and I don't know if it came across very clear as to what it was. And it, honestly, it wasn't much of anything. Those guys showed up one night at a show, and a bunch of the dudes there had a problem. I think, honestly, I think they thought they were muscling in on the girls. <laughs> but, you know, like we said in the episode, it was new kids in the scene. It was fun. Uh, but I have had my hands. I have had the picture of the Candy Crew in my hand within the last month and it is gone it is just gone so unfortunately it's just gonna have to you know be in people's memories and i I don't think anyone's gonna be too heartbroken over it but i don't know maybe one of these days i'll find it whatever book it got slid behind or wherever it fell i'll find it and i'll throw it up um as far as corrections go the only one i know for sure is we didn't i didn't have the whole veriflex thing down completely I didn't know exactly what the story was with that when he brought up that he had a Veriflex. I said that they were a, a decent company at some point, or at least slightly better than the normal, you know, department store crap. And yeah, it's true. Alan Losey, pro skater Alan Losey, uh, was their team writer, and it was actually his family that owned the company in the 80s. So it was a, a little bit better. He was, he was a name. You'd see him in some ads, you know? So there was that. I think that's about it. Yeah, I'm going to get just through this really quickly here. You know, it's the usual stuff. BlackCrownCar.com. They're our sponsor all the time. Eternally, go to BlackCrownCar.com. Download the app. They've got many more drivers in the area. They're just awesome. If you need to get around, go to the airport, plan something out, get Black Crown Car. Check out Soto's episode of this podcast, Satirios Rebellos. You can go back and find it. Uh, It's definitely worth a listen. Yeah, and I don't have a whole lot to say on the way out here, so I'm just going to say, please do these things for me. If you enjoy this podcast, please go to iTunes, rate, and review it. If you don't want to review it, just click that five stars. Just give us a little five-star review. It helps a lot. Follow the Nobody's Knows Facebook page. The more people we have there we can get the information about these podcasts out to, the better. And when I get new stuff which I keep saying is coming, and it is. I've met, I've had a a meeting in the last week about a new show. So, but, you know, all these things are perpetually in the future. We'll see. Eventually, there'll be a new show, and you'll be like, God, why did he hype that up? Okay, so do that. Follow us on Twitter. All this stuff is available. Go to nobodiesknows.com. Check out the blog pages for the shows, for the episodes that you listen to. Check out some of the articles I've written there in the rants section. Um... There's going to be more and more on that page, and it's it's a lot of fun, and it's going to continue to be a lot of fun. If you could do those things for us, that's awesome. If you even wanted to do more, there's a store section. There's some things you could buy. You could even donate to the show if you wanted to. You don't have to do that, but you know what? There's some old excursion stuff in there, copies of my movie on DVD, just some interesting stuff. Um, And as 
just like the rest of it. I'll be adding more to this as the show goes on and as there's you know more of the guests that I have are related to the items that I'm selling for the most part. So with that, I'm going to bid you all adieu. No, I'm not. I'm just going to say goodbye. All right. This podcast is a product of the Nobody's Knows Podcast Network. Executive producers, David R. Larson and K. Drake Streetman. Music for this episode provided by Polymorph from the record Artifacts, Demos, and Debris. 